0: Everybody. Welcome back to the show. This is as Lutheran as it gets, as always. This is what? Co hosted by Pastor Christopher Gillespie and Pastor Domin Riley. Yes. The Predator and the Techno Viking. Yes. And uh, <laughs> having a conversation that may or may not lead somewhere. Who knows?
1: Yeah, we're doing this again at another time of the day. So. Right? It's <clears> almost <throat> like a thought experiment. I, I don't know. I don't know if any of them really work,
0: quote-unquote. <laughs> work. Yeah, I was going to say, that. So, uh, generally or narrowly? Uh-huh. <laughs> in, a, in a broad sense or in a very narrow sense, does well, this work?
1: Yeah. Not everything
0: is about function. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I could put that on my tombstone, actually. He existed, but not functional. <laughs> be a great etching on a tombstone. Not everything has to be functional. <laughs> uh. <laughs> be fantastic. I like it. Um... We're going to dive back in today to Albrecht Peters' Commentary on Luther's Catechism, Baptism and Lord's Supper. Last podcast, we discussed Peters' overview of Luther's sacramental theology, mm-hmm. which was the first 70 pages, 72 pages approximately, of the book, Baptism and Lord's Supper. Uh, this is published by CPH. You can get it on Kindle or in a hard cap copy. Actually, soft paperback copy, but right. um, definitely go check that out. Go buy the whole series. It's a pricey. Obviously, yep. but I think worth it. If if you had to buy mm. like one set of books, one set of theology books that really explain the Lutheran theology best hmm. in the present tense, I actually I, I would actually recommend this. Yeah, I think so.
1: I was, you know, like the three volume paper set. Uh, no, it's dated, it's and it's, dated. it's and it's not as. Uh, it's not as intensely practical, I think.
0: It's not as approachable,
1: I would or approachable, say. Approachable, that's a
0: good word. Yeah. Contemporary readers.
1: There and there was an attempt to write a dogmatic series, but that the problem with the systematics of the dogmatic series is that they're very very broad. Whereas, right, uh, Peter's is narrowly focused upon the six
0: chief parts of the catechism. Yeah, exactly, and I think that's that's the the elegance of this is though it spans multiple volumes, it's focused on just the catechism itself, properly speaking.
1: Right. So it's kind of like you learn the small catechism and then you learn the large catechism and then you could go to
0: Peter's to even kind of expand on the large catechism. Exactly. And I think that is the value, the weight that these books carry is that they open up the catechism to you in a way that even for myself who spent 20 years with Martin Luther, studying, Mm. reading, everything that I can get my hands on by Luther or about Luther... When I started reading Peters, I couldn't it was remarkable to me how much I didn't know. Yeah. And again, that's my arrogance. I'm not I'm not saying it's not arrogance, but that's the arrogance of knowledge. is the more you learn, it's like the Dunbar is it Dunbar Kruger curve that the less you know the more certain you are, the mm. more confident you are in your own knowledge. No, I don't
1: know
0: that. Yeah. Dunbar Kruger. Oh. I think it's called it's Dunbar something. I can never remember the second person's name. So sorry to the person who worked with Dunbar to come up with the, with the measurement. We'll find it. Oh, it's Dunning Kruger effect. Thank you, Dunning Kruger effect. So I never forget. Remember the first one? I always remember the second one. There we go. See, I was confident in my knowledge of a chart that tells me that I'm the less I know, the more confident I am in my rightness and my knowledge. the more you know. That's right. And so, yeah, you you read so much. In my case, I read so much about Luther. And I read so much of Luther and just stuck my head under the water and, and just drowned in luther and then you read someone like albright peters who treats the catechism with the respect it deserves and all of a sudden it opens up to you all of this information about why luther chose the words he did in, in writing the catechism why he organizes the catechism the way he does broadly speaking and it goes deep into the medieval theology late medieval theology where luther is trying to correct late medieval theology he disagrees with or where he brings certain things forward from late medieval theology uh, and how he develops his theology of the sacraments or his explanations of the ten commandments why he includes a table of duties at the end of the catechism like all of this is there for us from the time that we're kids it's available to us and yet what peter's does in his catechisms is he opens it up to you to really appreciate the genius of the catechism
1: yeah because he's got like a synthesis of of systematic data, you know, yes. obviously the catechisms themselves, the text, uh, historical data, Luther's sermons, um, you know, other people's writings like Melanchthon, right. I mean, and it just shows the interconnectedness both in
0: time and then, right. you know to the text, and may very well help you distinguish between modern definitions of Lutheranism or historical definitions mm. of Lutheranism and how that's worked out within different movements in the history of Lutheranism versus Reformation Lutheran theology. And even that's not one monolithic confession. And you'll learn that reading the commentaries that even Luther's colleagues at Wittenberg were often at odds with him and disagreed with some of the conclusions he came to, or many of the conclusions he came to. I
1: don't remember. Did we talk much about Peters himself, who he no, is? No, I don't
0: think we have. No, huh. I don't know that I know that
1: much. Um, but it, it seems to me that he's pretty objective. That that's the perspective I get. Like he's not. He doesn't have like a an axe to grind. Like if you yeah. read. Um, who was it that wrote the introduction that was in The Triglotta? Um, Bente? Yeah, Bente. If you read Bente, I mean, it's clear he's got he's got an agenda. Yeah, he's not a big fan of Melanchthon. There's certain people he really doesn't like, like <laughs> Melanchthon, <laughs> uh, and pietism in general, and rationalism yeah, as right. well. And he's right. just, so he, he, he almost, well, maybe it's not too much to say that he twists the data to support his cause.
0: Well, he certainly skews it. It's like, Trying to argue which is more objective, Fox News or MSNBC or CNN? Well, it just depends on which direction you skew politically. Yeah, what do you mean by objective? <laughs> and I think, too, it's like with Pieper's attack on Kant or Pieper's attack on pietism and rationalism. It, it, very similar, to Bente, I think, at the time he writes that, when he wants to criticize Walther, for example, he can't criticize Walther. That's forbidden, and mm-hmm. so he has to figure out ways to criticize the theology of Walter without criticizing Walter himself, because politically and and just professionally, it's suicide to do that at that time. Same thing with Pieper. and so they don't attack Walter directly, but they'll they'll critique the theology that that either influenced Walter or the theology that Walter is responding to in his own generation.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But I think for those of us in the LCMS, we again we canonize Walter, but. We don't really embrace the historical context in which Walter was living and working and breathing. And we lose track of our history in the LCMS then. And then yeah. when you come to someone like Peters or like you said, Bente, you can't really – you recognize there's prejudice there, but you don't quite recognize why the prejudice exists yeah. or why he skews one way or the other. He's against pietism. Well, is it because it's popular to, to attack pietism <laughs> or is there something else – like, again, did he grow up? in a in a a pietistic household did he grow up being taught at seminary by rationalists and then he's reacting against the rationalists and the pietists why does he not like melanchthon like what what's what is forming that opinion that he has against melanchthon and so often then especially when it comes to i think our spiritual heroes in the faith when we don't recognize that there's a whole subtext to what they're writing and it influences what they're doing, like with Luther, when he writes the catechism, the catechism is as much a critique of late medieval theology as it is anything else. Yeah. It's it's his stamp on this is what we believe, teach, and confess about the Christian faith, this is what we believe the Bible teaches, and therefore simultaneously we're rejecting a lot of this teaching that's coming out of late medieval scholasticism. But if you don't know what late medieval scholasticism he's reacting to, you don't know who the Lombard is or Bonaventura or St. Victor or these people, you have no idea mm. why he chooses these words. It's the eating and the drinking, but the words for you that mm-hmm. do it you know, all. He is worthy and well prepared who believes these words given and shed for you. Like, there's a whole hundreds and hundreds of years of history behind that sentence. Yeah. And that's what Peter's does. He's, he just opens that up for you and says, this is what Luther is writing about.
1: Yeah. So the the endorsements on the back of the book, you know, will tell you. I mean, this is the definitive commentary on Luther's right. catechisms. Yeah. Um, but I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what, uh, you know, where Peters is coming from, mm-hmm. and uh, how how is it that he did this and and we haven't? I mean, maybe the level of
0: scholarships scholarship in. American Lutheranism is... <laughs> well, in the way that it was explained to me by John Pless, who wrote one of the blurbs on the back, I think it was John, maybe it was Bob Cole, one or the other. Bob Cole, but one it, on there, yeah. It's that in Germany, Luther's catechism is still treated as a, a systematic theology. It's still treated as serious theology. Whereas oh. in our country, it's been largely relegated to the realm of confirmation. It's mm-hmm. a kid's book. Children's book, yeah. And because up until very recently, 2011... If you didn't read German, you couldn't read Peter's books. There really wasn't a lot of treatments of Luther's catechism that opened it up to us in a way that we could say, oh, wow, I can't believe there's all this depth to this when I thought it was a kid's book the whole time, or I thought this was just for children. Hmm. Versus now that it's opened up for me, this has allowed me to go into my congregation this summer, for example, when we spend June through September and we're going to devote that to going through the catechism— I can bring all this material in with me and translate that into the lectures, into the Bible studies on the small catechism in a way to get the, to introduce the lady then to the depths of the catechism that they're not aware of. Even then you're just
1: going to skim the surface.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You're giving them not only the, like the reader's digest, abridged, cliff noted version of this text, Mm -hmm. but at the very least, just to open it up to them to understand or, or just appreciate there's so much more to this than you've ever even bearing aware of, because you've never been taught it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so, because of that, then we wanted to dive back into this volume on baptism and the Lord's Supper at least one more time, probably two more times, because we can dive into the Lord's Supper even in this in the third section. Yeah,
1: we we did quite a bit on the Lord's Supper last time, but uh, yeah, we didn't really talk much on baptism.
0: So no, idea. and and there's stuff on the Lord's Supper in that section hmm. which gets into like the Trinitarian bent of Luther's teaching on the Lord's Supper there or his exhortation. His section on uh, worthy, well-prepared is, is excellent yes, as well. Yes, yes, exactly. And, and the exhortation aspect of the Christian questions with their answers. Oh, right. Like, if you don't feel like coming to the Lord's table regularly, you know, why does he choose to say that the way he does? Mm. Um, and because uh, I know for myself, when we go through those at uh with the compromise, we go through that at, at first communion. And we get to those questions, that's it's very jarring. Yeah. To to hear those words in that way. Touch yourself to
1: see if you have flesh
0: and blood. Right. To to consider your selfishness in terms of I don't come to the Lord's Supper regularly because I just don't see that I need it that bad. And yet, the reason that you don't think you need it is, as Luther lays out, because of your own sinfulness, because of the sinfulness of the world, and because the devil's attacking you all the time. Yeah. Three things that you don't actually believe all that much. Right, exactly. If at all. Right. Which is why Dr. Luther says, unless Jesus reveals sin to you, you don't actually believe in sin, which is Mm -hmm. proven by the philosophers who have no word for sin. Aristotle has no word for sin. Period. Plato has no word for sin because they're not biblical believers. Yeah. So why would they?
1: And along with that, they really don't have righteousness
0: either. They have right, like exactly.
1: goodness, but they don't have
0: um... righteous. Yeah, virtue, mm-hmm. like neighborly virtue, like being a good neighbor, right? And what that means. But as far as righteousness in relation to a divine being, yeah, and like what does a, that mean? And,
1: and like an identity that is that is right with God, right. cosmos. Well, that's the whole that's day.
0: Luther's struggle in the monastery: is how can I be righteous hmm. in relation to righteous and holy God? My righteousness never. Comes close. It's not even a a sliver that I can hold up to say to God, well, at least I've got this little sliver of righteousness that you can judge me by. He's simply saying, no, awake or sleeping, living or dead, I just cannot live up to the righteousness that God expects of me through the law. But he's being taught righteousness in a philosophical sense, in the way of Aristotle's ethics, yes. virtue ethics. Yes, virtue
1: ethics. That's right.
0: And therefore, he's not a virtuous person. That's the problem with original sin when it meets virtue ethics. Ironically, it's,
1: it's hard to be virtuous when you're living in isolation in a monastery.
0: <laughs> I know, right? Because you, you, you have you, no neighbors yourself, except for your monk. You friends. set yourself apart from society so you can focus on being righteous. And yet, the more you think about it, the more unrighteous you you note know yourself to be. Yeah, just turning farther and farther inward. Right, exactly. It's the it's the prohibition against sin that actually awakens you to, the, to how sinful your thoughts and desires are, because now you're trying to hold them back. Yeah, it's better to get outside oneself. Right. Which is what, again, it drives Luther out of the monastery, and it's eventually what drives Luther to his sacramental theology. It drives him outside of himself. And mm-hmm. we discussed this, I think, on the last podcast about mysticism and the internal... Uh, kind of infused grace or infused righteousness infused faith that was taught to luther and him recognizing the inadequacy of that teaching not just personally from experience but biblically speaking right and, it, and then being attacked by Karl stott on this whole matter of do we actually participate in jesus's actual suffering and death trans historically when we come to the sacrament or not it forces luther to say well wait a minute if jesus is a real man and he occupies a real space in time and space then he can't literally be inside of me. That's not possible. And yet this whole time, I've kind of been just throwing these words around, and now I'm being called to account for them and realize, oh, this isn't really a good biblical exegesis. Hmm. This isn't really good theologically for us. It doesn't really teach what Paul and Jesus are teaching about his body and blood. So now what? Yeah. Now what? And, and then being forced to wrestle with that and being forced to it's basically being compelled to write the catechism because Melanchthon finally said I can't do it and Bugenhagen said I can't do it and, and Amsdorf said I can't do it. You do it. And the economy of words with which he works and how he works out his explanations through preaching and through teaching. It it's really amazing. So let's dive in, page eighty-one. Baptism and Lord's Supper, the sacrament of holy baptism, mm-hmm. number 2 on page 81, the instituting of baptism, Matthew 28. As for the scriptural passage upon which baptism is established, quote unquote, the reformer cites Matthew 28:18 and following in both the small and large catechisms by characterizing the text as the most significant for baptism. In the large catechism at this point already he adds Mark 16:16, 16, 16, the word of promise, which is left in the small catechism for the section on the benefit of baptism. Mm-hmm. It took a long time for these texts to crystallize so as to become the central passages about baptism. During the many attempts to give shape to a catechism, as I was mentioning, it, a lot of people took a run at this. A lot of people published catechisms. There were many, many Lutheran catechisms in the fifteenth or 16th century.
1: Yeah, it's interesting too, because if you've tried to argue for something like infant baptism with somebody who doesn't believe that, right. uh, they generally don't have any texts that, mm-hmm. that they can use to defend. They just speak philosophically. And then when you come at them with just these you know, these two texts, Matthew twenty eight and, and Mark sixteen, they're like, Well, that doesn't speak of infants. And you're like, Well, who does it speak of then? You know. Right. And does it, all they, mean all or not? Right. But but it just just like um, what Peter's is saying here, that they haven't actually wrestled with the text. They're speaking about baptism apart from the text. Yeah, right. And and just you know, from what's inherited in their case, you know, Anabaptists they've inherited no baptism of of
0: infants, spiritual baptism. Yeah,
1: spiritual baptism. Well, where does that come from? What's the what's the premise of that? And it's it's not scriptural. It's actually philosophical.
0: It is, and this is where it falls apart under scrutiny. Is asking the question, well. The argument would be made, well, it doesn't mention water baptism here. It just mentions hmm. the spirit and regeneration, renewal. Which that's a basic grammatic point, though. Uh, Baptizo means to wash with water. It does mean to wash with water. And as we discussed <laughs> before, there is nowhere in the Bible where God does not work out salvation through the Holy Spirit, his word, and water. Mm, that's right. Separately, individually. It's constant. It, it's – read Genesis. You don't even have to read the entire Old Testament. Just read Genesis. hmm how many times in Genesis does God save? Does he renew through words, water, and the spirit? And in Exodus. And in Exodus. You can't not notice in the five books of Moses, then if you want to get outside of Genesis, the five books of Moses, every single thing God does when it comes to creation and recreation is water. Mm-hmm. It's constant. It just it just is. And not only is it so constant in the Bible, but even other religions embrace the regenerative and renewing power of water. Yeah, ritual washings of some sort. Right, exactly. So, you have other flood myths, you have other ritual washings, you have other baptisms, which are, again, all they are are just these rifts off of the original narrative, the original teaching.
1: Yeah, and they rec- and they recognize that water can both
0: give life and, and take life. And, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And so it's not just the crazy Lutherans who are arguing for this. Even the pagans recognize that there's something about this, that the gods or the goddess, the goddess or the god, they, they use water in a destructive and creative way. Mm-hmm. Just like the misunderstanding of Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac has led to human sacrifice or animal sacrifice or, or other kinds of sacrifice because they misunderstand the nature of the promise. Even Christians do this. Because mm-hmm. even Christians will try and apologize for these things to say, well, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, um, God never meant for Abraham to kill Isaac and no on the ark and everybody had a choice. Like, no, you don't understand. You're, you've completely missed the point, <laughs> which is this is all about the promise. It's all about word, water, and spirit. It's mm-hmm. all about the nature of how God works through means to give his promise to us in a very concrete and real way. Yeah. And yes, Abraham did know that God was not going to allow him to kill Isaac. It's in the text. Or Abraham believed in the resurrection of the body. Or he believed in the resurrection of the body. Although he does say, we will come back. Mm -hmm. Right. To the two servants. Not, I'll come back and then Isaac will catch up later. (laughs) Give him a moment while he regenerates. Right, exactly. Wolverine style. (laughs) So the benefit of baptism then... For Luther, the whole point of baptism, yeah, it starts with Matthew twenty eighteen, but he brings in Mark 16, 16 in the way of the word of promise. And I think we discussed this last podcast too, is for Luther, the new man in Christ, faith hangs on will be saved, not if you believe. Right. The old Adam, sin always hangs on, again, because it's about our selfishness, it's our self-focus on and self-centeredness. We focus on the conditional if. If you believe. Right. And then we just ignore the conjunction and and treat it like it's not a conjunction. It's an either or, not an and. So, it's kind of like believe and then subscript and be baptized. Right. And you'll be saved. Believe, you'll right. be saved. You know? It's Would like you... breathe and circulate blood throughout your body and you'll live. <laughs> well, do you ever in your life go, well, I'll, I'll breathe for now. That's good enough, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> or as I was explaining kidney function to my kids the other day, we were talking about this. and Because my daughter was asking, what, what does your kidney do? And as I was explaining it, and she was in awe of all the things that the kidney does for us that are kind of important
2: yeah.
0: for, for living <laughs> and not, yet, dying. Yes. not dying is great. And what happens is a consequence of your kidney failing or something going wrong with your body. But at the same time, we don't have any control over our kidney.
2: Hmm.
0: <laughs> like we just, we don't, whether I'm thinking about my kidney filtering out the toxins in my blood or whether I don't think about it, my kidney just does that.
1: And that's most obvious when it isn't working.
0: Exactly. Likewise, you don't pick and choose which bodily functions you want to have happen as if one's more important than the other, but rather they function as a whole to make you, you. Likewise, faith and baptism aren't like two different things, or of greater or lesser value, but rather they are what make you you. They are what make the child of God the child of God. It's not faith or works. Likewise, it's not faith or works. It's not faith or baptism. But rather, all are a gift from God.
1: Yeah, they're part of the same, of a whole. They're they're not individual or separate or step one, step two. Right. Um. But yeah, I mean, why would you? Did we talk about Philip and the eunuch? I think we did on a previous yeah, we show. Did, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that uh, you know. I believe what's to prevent me from being baptized, right? Right. And, well, you have been catechized properly.
0: Uh, I know. And you a member of my congregation. Like, Are it's you... six weeks, dude. I mean, right. you got to put in the work. That's right, exactly. you got to earn this. So for Luther, it took a long time for these texts to crystallize so as to become the central passages about baptism during the many attempts to give shape to a catechism. It, it took him a long time. And he does catechetical sermons constantly throughout his career, It's not like he just preached a couple sermons and made them the large catechism in 1528-29. He's constantly working on this. Yeah, that was at least the fruit of, what, seven, eight, nine years' work? Minimum a decade, probably. Yeah. Minimum. Because especially after 1518, he's constantly being called to give an account of the catechism that he's supposed to teach, the Roman Catholic catechism.
1: Right. Especially on baptism, uh, which historically makes sense because the the rite of baptism – That Luther inherited uh, there was so much accrual of just weird stuff, right? Right. Just generation after generation after generation. Like blowing in the kids' eyes and the salt and the
0: spitting in the ears and the or whatever. I don't remember all the things. And as happens, with every generation as this accrues, the the things become the thing. And the whole purpose of baptism then is the seven signs. Like, if you don't do the seven signs, it's not a
1: valid baptism. Right. And so the point is is that it's no wonder he couldn't find the text because the water and the word weren't at
0: the center. They they may have been at the center at some point, but they got lost in the mess. Right. They just become like the stage on which this production takes place. (laughs) But they're not the production itself. They're not the whole reason we're in the theater. Yeah. So now we have, what, certificates and candles and shells and... White claws and, and, yeah. and what else? Yeah. We what else just dressed, we've just done it. Basically, that's what we do. The old Adam loves signs and symbols. Oh, anointing with oil, too. You got to do that. Anointing with oil, of course. The old Adam needs to find meaning and significance for the things that he does. He has to give (laughs) meaning to his life. Like like baptisms are right in search of meaning. Right. Well, that's the purpose of the Roman Catholic rite of baptism. It's the starter package for your life as a Christian, but it's not the be all end all of your life. It's not your entire identity versus for Luther and for us as Lutherans. Then when you're in the way of Reformation theology, it's the thing. It's not level one armament weapon. Right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's not your plus one sword and you're gonna you're an upgrade later in life to like a vorpal blade or something. Yeah, plus 890. Let's Nerds! Wait for that. <laughs> but that's, we've lost that, of mm-hmm. course, because we don't know the history there. We don't realize how radical what Luther says about baptism in the small catechism is to his own society around him because for how many ever years baptism is the starter package is the beginning point for the christian life but it's not your whole identity yeah because you still have to go through confirmation you still have to get married you still have extreme unction and confession and penance and all of these other things that are added to it And like you said all the signs then that are added to the signs <laughs> so that luther cleans house and almost as quickly as he cleans house people are already then just adding them back in
1: yeah exactly We talked about that in relation to confirmation. Right, Right, exactly. First 200 or so years of the the Lutheran Church, there is no confirmation. And then, huh? Right. Hey, you remember that thing? bring this back. Yeah. It was really cool. Right. Hmm.
0: Right. It's like finding some artifact in a closet somewhere in your grandpa's house after he dies. And you're like, this is amazing. Yeah, that's right. Like an old, like an old phonograph like, like type of deal, like an old record player. And it's really cool for a couple of weeks. And then you realize there's a reason that MP3 players were eventually invented.
1: And now I'm looking in the dining room and I'm thinking, I have to move that thing.
0: With exactly. The, with those like quarter inch thick 78 <laughs> RPM exactly. records. Exactly. <sighs> so you just push it into a corner and it becomes an artifact. You just look over at it to remember your grandpa and the good old days, but you don't use it. Oh, and it's worth something. Yeah, of course, it's worth – so, yeah, exactly. I'll sell it later for a profit. <laughs>
2: hmm.
0: And and that's actually a good analogy for our own theology, our own confession, is that we've essentially sold it for whatever we can get for it. Because, well, the Baptists have this cool thing that they do, and the Roman Catholics, not everything they do is bad. We can bring some of this stuff back. And, well, the Presbyterians, they do this, and we can baptize that and make it Lutheran again, right? And the Methodists, they have really, really good hymns. We like singing, their hymns. let's bring Methodist hymns in. We just pick – like, we just treat the rest of Christianity like it's this buffet line. Hmm. And I'm not saying don't be ecumenical. I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't sit down with our brothers and sisters of other denominations and try and overcome our differences. It's just that we so uncritically absorb in the things that are the most egregiously unlutheran about these practices. Well, and especially here where you have a
1: clear word of institution from Christ Himself, right? To say, exactly. And it's here's, so what brief.
0: here's what you're supposed to
1: do. It it's not complicated. It's easy, folks. it, it but it's real powerful, you know? Because it's I'm doing the work right. here. Uh, and it should be enough, and then no, it's not enough. So Yeah. It's just plain water. <laughs> it's just plain water and uh, combined oh, with God's word. Yeah, well that's true. And but uh but if there is no party afterwards,
0: then no party. You might might doubt the validity right. no of the symbols. All. <laughs> right. We have to have the symbols, we have to have the white gown, we have to do we have to wait for grandma to fly in from Pasadena. Like <laughs> we have to do all this stuff because it's this is really what matters most. And then I dumbly as your pastor say, what happens if the baby doesn't make it six months? What if the baby can't get baptized in nine months or a year from now? And technically, the Bible kind of tells me I'm supposed to baptize your child quickly.
1: (laughs) Right. And Luther's context is then, I guess, very similar to ours. And so, I I, I would say it's no wonder that it's hard to find a text because there's so much other stuff to distract you from kind of – from the heart and center of it all.
0: Well, in the nature of the old Adam, as I just kind of laid out by way of anecdote is the old Adam always thinks that he has time and choice. Hmm. That's the nature of the old Adam is I've, I've got time and that given enough time, I can make the right choices versus you have no time and you have no choice. This is a command and the promise is regeneration, renewal in the Holy Spirit, and it's all the work of the Spirit, not the work of us so that we can't brag about it. And by the way, baptism now saves you. So let's do this right now. Mm-hmm. And then we can have a ceremony at the church. Grandma can come with the gown from Pasadena. All these things can happen. I don't know why I always have grandma coming from the West Coast. I got to mix this up and make her come from Boston mm. or something. People are going to think I'm actually talking about a person. Um, but nonetheless, yeah, we we dress up baptism with all of the, the the ornaments, but they have nothing to do with the actual baptism itself.
2: Yeah.
1: So if you look at the, the revised, right, as we have it now today, whether it's the one in a Lutheran service book or, or the uh... – the luther rite that's in the pastor books yeah uh, which has the exorcism in it that's primarily the luther rite's a little shorter um, yeah, than the lsb rite cuz it doesn't have enrollment of sponsors
0: in it that too one could go off for an hour i should have said actually the the signs and symbols it's not that they don't have anything to do with baptism that there's they're supposed to point to what mm, baptism right. is it's not that they're not pointing to what baptism is like well in the way of, and that's and that,
1: that's the same that's also the case with confirmation. Right? I mean, yeah. it's meant to just point back to baptism, and yet it becomes all this other stuff. Right. You know, uh, you making your
0: promises and vows right. and... Bridge over the river quai kind of thing. <laughs> That's right. Just blow up baptism. So, Luther doesn't just come to this. It's not just an epiphany he has while he's in the shower one day. He's been working on this for years. Mm-hmm. Which is why, then, it took so long for it to crystallize, because he's fighting against, he's wrestling with, he's chewing on and trying to come to terms with everything he's been taught, which has taken like a thousand years to formulate. And, by the way, he's disagreeing with the foremost theologians of the church when he does this. And even if he's been excommunicated by the the Pope, he's still wrestling with his spiritual fathers, so even existentially, he's still having a rough time of it. Yeah. And, by the way, everyone is asking him to justify pretty much every sentence that comes out of his mouth. So he he can't treat this lackadaisically. He can't be lethargic about this. He's got to have a super tight argument.
1: Well, especially if it's the the foundation and center of
0: the Christian life, right? Right, exactly. For him, exactly. The point for Luther is we've treated this like it's the starting point for the Christian life, whereas... Looking at the biblical texts that, that support baptism, it seems like it's the be-all, end-all. Mm-hmm. Uh, since Jesus himself says, this saves you, yeah. <laughs> he who believes and is baptized will be saved, it seems kind of important. Maybe we should spend some more time stripping away the detritus, the flotsam and jetsam of the, gener- of the years, the generations, and strip it back down to what is essential to baptism? Word, Water Spirit. Yeah.
1: And, the Mark, and the Mark text especially, is, I think is,
0: well, I yeah. think Peters gets to that here in a minute. Right. At the outset, Luther was drawn most of all to Mark 16.16, 16, a text that served as the gospel reading for Ascension Day, and that he explicated tirelessly from 1520 onward. So there you go.
1: Hmm. We don't use it for Ascension anymore.
0: Hmm. Hmm. When dealing with Mark 16, he discusses the tension between law and gospel, between justification on the basis of our works versus that which comes by faith alone at the same time, giving more precision to the proper sequence of promise, signs, and faith. There you go. Proper sequence. From 1526 on, Luther inserted additionally the command to baptize from Matthew 28. Since the Reformer concentrates his attention, most specifically on the nature of baptism, which in terms of sequence precedes discussing how we take hold of it in faith, and since it alone establishes Christ's mandate— it stands to reason that the text would gain an importance. It not only contains the specific reference to baptism being instituted, but in an embryonic way, it implicitly deals, details the way the charge is to be carried out. Mm. <sighs> what is that? Nine lines? Yeah. One sentence? <laughs>
1: well, it's, inter- it's interesting because we use Matthew 28 now yeah. uh, as one of the two ordination texts. Right, the chief ones. Uh, the other being John twenty, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With with the with the keys, the office of the keys, right? Um, but that that bringing in of Matthew twenty eight for an ordination text um, that comes way after Luther, um, right? Exactly, exactly. I mean, because and it's not just because Luther attached it to baptism, but uh, it's it's just what what was that how was that used and then it even it's even become even more distorted in our own day right because it's the great commission or something yeah exactly and it's not and so it's not even the ordination of uh, the pastors of the church uh, it's not even a institution of baptism
0: it becomes this right. text about going and doing right it's a, it's a, it's commodified mhm you know, go out and commodify the church. How many people have you baptized? Yeah, go
1: well, <laughs> we just leave out the baptizing and teaching part and it's go and make disciples uh, by yeah, some means you. that you'd like right.
0: <laughs> to finish. And then eventually if they decide to get baptized, but we don't want to force them to get baptized because that might turn them off and drive them away and we want to be sensitive to people's needs and you might actually suggest that there's something important happening here. Sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> So, this is the point then, is that he zeroes in on Mark sixteen sixteen for the promise, and then comes back around to Matthew, Matthew 28, 28 in the way of command, because, of course, people are asking, if I believe, do I really have to be baptized? This is not a new argument. <laughs> no.
1: And uh, Matthew 28 lays out a sequence. It lays out right. a, not a process, but a sequence. Right?
0: Yeah, sequence. Yeah, the ordinary way of things. Right. Go out baptizing all people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them everything I've commanded you. It's circular. Matthew's gospel is circular. Mm. Because when you hear that, you go back to the beginning because all of Matthew's gospel is Jesus' teaching. So what do we teach? Go back to the beginning and start from scratch. This is what we teach. And yeah, there are signs as Peter's points out, but it's the proper sequence, promise, signs, faith. And by signs, he doesn't mean the candle and the oil and the salt. And he means signs in the sense of um, the semeon, the pointing to Jesus, the purpose of baptism, the pointing to baptism now saves you. Signs in the way of word, water. water. Words and water. Yeah. Yeah. Which create faith. So there's the promise that this saves you. Then there's the actual water in the word, which creates faith. Hmm. Thus, if you believe and are baptized, you will be saved. Right. But what if I have? What if I believe and I'm not baptized? Which actually is true of me. I w- I believe before I was baptized,
2: hmm.
0: and because I was taught by born again Christians to m- have to make the decision to be baptized, I waited two, three years. Three years. I waited three years to be baptized.
1: So baptism was more of like a seal or a or.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a it's kind of public, Yeah, it's the public declaration of my my um, commitment to being a Christian. It's really a confirmation then for them. Very yeah, for sure. Yeah, and for me, I've told the story before, but I finally like we were talking about in regards to Luther trying to achieve righteousness within the monastery. I was never actually prepared. I was not righteous. Enough, I was not prepared enough. I was not strong enough in my faith and and had resisted sin enough where I felt ready to be baptized. Mm. And so I would have a good day and then say to my pastor, I want to be baptized, and he'd say Saturday, and then by Thursday I'd screw that up somehow and said, I'm not ready, I sinned, or yeah uh, I screwed up. And finally I just threw myself on the mercy of God and went, I'm never gonna be ready to be baptized, so I just have to trust that you're gonna be merciful to me and not Mm -hmm. judge me for doing this. 'Cause even when I got baptized, I was afraid that I was being condemned and damned for doing it. Yeah. But relying upon God's mercy, uh, right answer. <laughs> right. Yeah. I gave lip service to it. Intellectually, having read Luther, mm-hmm. I I I, tr- I believed intellectually in that that mercy, but in my heart, in my in my flesh, I was convinced that being baptized, I was gonna be condemned. Mm. And then walking back to cause I at the time we were living with my parents, um, we're waiting to move into the seminary, and so it was three blocks from the church to my house. And those three blocks, walking back to my house after I got baptized, I wanted something to be different, but nothing was different. And I was so disappointed that I had waited for two and a half, three years to get baptized, and nothing spectacular happened. I felt no different whatsoever. What do you? What do you? What do you expect? Like a spirit? Like in the form of a dove coming down upon you or something? Again, I was taught theology by Pentecostals. <laughs> uh-huh. So you did expect that. Okay. <laughs> I expected some kind of change. Like angels dancing or... Kind of like when Homer when Homer gets baptized by Ned Flanders because he's trying to save Bart from being baptized. One of my favorite episodes ever when Bart basically ends up like becoming a Christian because he's living with Ned Flanders because the uh, social services takes him away from, hmm. from Homer and, and Marge. And he actually like stops swearing and gets, starts getting straight A's and... And Ned takes him down to the river to baptize him because he wants to become St. Bartholomew. And it's the greatest slow-mo shot of Homer diving from the shore, just screaming, no, as he tries to stop Ned from baptizing Bart. And then um, Ned baptizes Homer instead. And he comes up out of the water, and he starts speaking in King James English. <laughs> it's this magic moment, right? And then <sighs> Bart slaps him. Snap out of it, Homer. I'm going to have to find this and put this in the show notes. It's okay. classic. Um but uh no, because I was that's the way I was taught. I was introduced to theology that way. Mm. And so I expected something, and it was nothing. So it's really I so it's looking at baptism in and through that lens of uh theology of glory, right? Right, exactly. It's mm-hmm. like when Zwingli when Zwingli wrote about taking um serving the Lord's Supper in his kitchen or whatever. And they pulled the blinds and they were super quiet and there was like three people in the room or something like that. And they gave it to each other and it was super reverent and they were super afraid that something horrible was going to happen, like the roof was going to be ripped off and lightning would strike them, or the the you know, the soldiers would burst into the house and arrest them. And his disappointment at nothing happening. They took communion together and nothing happened. Hmm. It was just we ate some bread, we drank some wine, and nothing happened. Hmm. And just that disappointment, and in, even in, in reading it in writing, just the disappointment in his words that nothing spectacular happened as a result. Yeah,
1: yeah. what's the problem there? It wasn't that the, it wasn't the doing that, that was the problem, right? Right. It was the
0: faith in these words. Exactly. He mm-hmm. had no faith in the words. Mm-hmm. He had faith in his faith. Right. And he had faith in the faith of the church, just much like Luther did. Uh, that Luther okay. had faith in the church's faith. In the way of teaching, in the way of symbols, in the way of do it this way, and you do it right, and if you do it right, then it's effective. So, you don't really need the words, then, to baptize. You just need to have the right heart and be sincere and do the ritual the right way, and then it's effective. Hmm. It's all about you, the doer. So, we add all the things because we want to make it special.
1: Exactly. When in reality, I mean, it isn't plain water, as Luther reminds us in the Right, exactly. It it is special because God says it is. And that should
0: be enough. (laughs) Right. The same word and spirit that separated the water from the solid ground is the same word and spirit that uses that same water to make you a child of heaven. If that's not special then somebody has just done a really poor job of catechizing right. the fullness of that, that extraordinarily ordinary moment. Well, it's special because God says it is, not necessarily exactly. because you feel that way about it. Right. Right. There's some days I'm in awe of creation. And yeah. there's other days where I'm like, get out of my way. <laughs> well, because your feelings can reflect new man in Christ or the old Adam, right? Simultaneously. Again, mm-hmm. the, the danger of abandoning the simul is you give up the tension of being in your flesh sinful and resistant to grace. And you think, well, it's the glory theology of the Corinthian church Mm. that you just assume because I'm, I'm righteous. Therefore, everything that I do is blessed by God. I can't do any wrong. You abandon original sin. And of course you rush headfirst into original sin, calling it righteousness. This is why in the Heidelberg disputation, he says, you know, the things of God, we call damnable sins. And then the things that we do, we call like saving grace. Right. (laughs) I'm paraphrasing, but, um, this is what we do, that if we don't hold that tension of the being simultaneously sinful and righteous in Christ, and of course, we want to take that righteousness into ourself rather than allow Jesus in the, the person of Jesus, the actual person of Jesus, to be our righteousness. We want to absorb that into ourselves so that we can control what is and what isn't righteousness. Once we abandon that tension, we just fall into the ditch of either believing we're so sinful, we've got to work our way out of the ditch, or we're so righteous, nothing we do can be wrong. Right. But but it's like pride and despair. It's two sides of the same coin. Mm, Yeah. Versus holding the tension and then recognizing you're never ready to be baptized Mm -mm. and you don't deserve it. But that's why it's a gift. That's why it is grace, because it's given to you for free for Jesus' sake. And that's why then you can relish and take joy and comfort from being baptized, Mm -hmm. that you don't deserve it. You're not worthy of it. And yet he gives it to you anyways. Yeah. And the preparation for baptism... Uh, I think we mentioned this in the last
1: episode is distinct because the words of institution are distinct from that for say the Lord's Supper. Right. So we don't have a section in Baptism from Luther about being worthy and well prepared. <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah. And yet what do we add to that? We add those we add that. We add worthy and well prepared to not only the words, but to the right. Mm-hmm. You've got to do all these things to be worthy of baptism.
1: Yeah, especially with adults. I mean, less so with children, I suppose. But yeah,
0: well, we give children a pass because they're innocent. We make the parents answer for the children. But Sarcasm. S- somebody – yes, I heard that. Somebody has to just answer for, for the I don't counseling. want anybody – I don't want anyone listening thinking that Riley just said – Riley, did you hear what Riley just advocated? Mm. <laughs> he actually said that children well, don't have original sin.
1: If they've listened to you long enough, they know better.
0: But, yeah. Well – there's so many other things you can, can condemn me for. <laughs> but, you know, and this is always the litmus test for me. This is my own personal opinion, so take it for what it's worth. If I'm at a gas station and someone starts talking to me about, I'm wearing my collar, for example, I went to memory care I went and saw one of my ladies in dementia care. If I stop at the gas station, I go inside to get a bottle of water or something, and I'm standing there with my clerical collar on, and I hit a conversation up with a guy. And your sky blue sweater. And my sky, thank you. Thank you for commemorating that for all time and eternity. I love my sky blue sweater. With your clerical. Exactly. It's like I'm serious, but yet I'm relaxed. Um, and let's say in the converse, in the in the course of this conversation, the guy, like the Ethiopian eunuch, says, Well, I I I I've been an atheist my whole life, but what you just said has convinced me that Jesus is my savior and like what do I do next? And I'd say, Well, you you'd be baptized. That's what Jesus himself says, be baptized. And the guy says, well, where can we do this? And I'm like, well, I got a bottle of water in my hand. We can do it in the parking lot right now if you want. We can go in the bathroom and do it if you want. You choose. But let's do this. right? You're you're not going to offer,
1: let's drive, You know, just follow me back to church.
0: Right. Let's drive 45 miles back to my church. And then I'll have to call some elders to act as witnesses. Like we got witnesses right here in the store. Let's just do it right here in the parking lot. I'll just ask two random people, hey, can you witness this? Mm -hmm. That way it's done. Now, there might be some people who say, well, you can't do that. Because he hasn't been properly catechized or he isn't a member of a church. Or oh, and it's disorderly, too. It's disorderly. And how do you know that he really believes? Or how do you know that after he's baptized, he's going to go find a church? And blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, 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 mm-hmm. like, blah. Jesus just commands me to baptize all people. Mm. All means all. It's a command. He wants to be baptized. I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah. Because, by the way, that's what I'm ordained to do. That's what I'm called to do. And so... You might get his ad- phone number, too, so you can follow up, though. Well, yeah, obviously, if the guy actually comes to faith in Jesus Christ, he might be interested in keeping the conversation going with me. Right. Um,
1: We're not talking about just baptizing him and leaving him out to dry. Tag and release, so no, the, no yeah, tag, tag and release. And release. <laughs>
0: yeah, he's this one's not a keeper. He's a little underweight. Um, No, but what I'm saying is that when this is the problem that we have, though, is that we don't actually believe the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for Mm, all who believe. We don't believe it has the power to create faith because we don't believe the Holy Spirit's actually at work in that conversation. And it has nothing to do with the power of my witness or my preaching Mm. or that he somehow rationally comes to the conclusion that he's been wrong his whole life about God. And now not only does he believe in God, but he believes that this specific person is God and he wants all the benefits that come with knowing this specific God.
1: And there's a way that, uh, which is, this is going to be true for all the all the articles of faith, but even with baptism, that that we receive it and then we learn what it means, you know? Right. Our whole life is, is really committed to uh, learning how to
0: live as the baptized or, right. or, or how to believe well, in the how, baptism even. How often will we get it bent where even if someone brings us a child to baptize who's not a member of our congregation mm. or a member of the church even who says... Again, same thing. I heard I heard a sermon online, or I was on Facebook and I was talking to a friend via messenger, and blah blah blah. Or I was reading the Bible, even whatever it may be. Or I grew up in church, but I left church, and I and now I have a baby, and I started thinking back to when I was in church with my grandma, and her teaching me the faith. Like all of those things come into play, and someone comes to you as a stranger, and I do think there's something in the Bible about strangers and mm. forfeit, you know sojourners in your house, something something. Um, And they come, again, just look at Elijah and the widow at Zarephath. Just look at Naaman and Elijah. I mean, there's so many instances, especially in the Old Testament, where pagans come and go, hey, that slave girl told me I'm supposed to talk to you, and you told me to go down to the river and wash seven times. Uh, That's stupid. (laughs) What's that going to do for me? And the prophet just going, no, dude, go do it. Just trust me. Do it. And he does it. And then he comes to faith. Again, promise, sign, faith. Hmm. Elijah gives him the promise. He goes and ba- washes himself seven times, and he believes.
1: Yeah, and faith and baptism, they're bound up together, right? I think I said right. they're like one or whole. the other. Right, so which comes first? Really wrong question, right? Exactly. Um, I mean, there is a... There's... There, there There's a sequence, but it's the sequence is believe and be baptized, right? Which is all together and conjunction, not and as in.
0: Well, it's just our sinful old Adam need to categorize and control Hmm. deity, divinity Hmm. to stand in God's place and to act as God and to say to Jesus, we'll call the plays. You just execute them. And if you don't, I'm going to bench you for somebody better.
1: Yeah, we're not even sure you really we can you can really do what you say you can do anyway.
0: Right. Well, we right is that we abstract Jesus essentially we turn Jesus into an ideology, but we mm. don't believe he's real. Mm. Therefore, the spirit's not real. Therefore, his words not real.
1: And therefore, baptism really
0: doesn't. It has no power outside of what we make of it. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's a, just another another idea in search of meaning. Yeah, a rite of passage. That,
1: yes, a rite of passage that we've created to
0: uh, right. You know. Which leads us to the next rite of passage, which mm. we call confirmation, which leads us to the next rite of passage, which we call marriage, and on and on to the final rite of passage, last rites.
1: Oh, don't forget
0: a uh, voting member. <laughs> right. Well, we were, I guess that we could replace penance with that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, having to go to a voters meeting is like it, that. That is a form of penance. Boy, you, should, you should definitely get time off of purgatory for that. <laughs>
0: That's right. So since the reformer concentrates his attention most specifically on the nature of baptism— We're going to break this down because that was a really long sentence. Yeah, yeah. Do it. So from 1526 on, Luther inserts additionally the command to baptize, because as I said, there was a debate. If I believe, do I really have to be baptized? Or secondly, I've already been baptized in the Roman Catholic Church, but now that I've joined the Reformation, do I have to be re-baptized? All right. That was a question. Lots of questions. Since the Reformer concentrates his attention most specifically on the nature of baptism, that is, what is baptism? Why baptize? Which in terms of sequence promise, signs, faith, precedes, comes before discussing how we take hold of it in faith, Mm -hmm. and since it alone establishes Christ's mandate, it stands to reason that this text, Matthew 28, would gain in importance for Luther. It not only contains the specific reference to baptism being instituted by Christ, but in an embryonic way, it implicitly details the way that the charge is to be carried out, Mm. right? Go out, baptize all people, in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that I have commanded you. Notice that the teaching part, as you pointed out, comes last.
1: Yeah, and implicitly, uh, he's speaking to the apostles, right? right? So, this is a gift given to the church, uh, normally exercised by her pastors. Exactly.
0: Normally, right. Yeah,
1: it's implicit there. It's it's not explicit, but it is, I think right. it's implicit, yeah.
0: So, both passages, Mark and Matthew, from Scripture are to be memorized since they provide the basis for our baptism. Hmm. They are to be studied carefully for comprehension, which is why Luther pours them into the catech for uh, pours them into the catechetical form and wields them at the same time to form one unit.
1: Yeah, and we read command both. and promise, law and promise. Both of those are in our rite of baptism
0: as we practice that. You know, I just realized this now that we turn the law text into the promise text, and we turn the promise text into a law text. Hmm. What do you mean? Well, we turn Matthew, so the command, go and baptize, mm-hmm. law. We turn that into gospel, the Great Commission, right? Go do this stuff. And then we turn the promise text, believe and be baptized, into a law text, if you believe and are baptized, Oops. therefore you will be saved. We actually flip those two texts quite often in the way that we treat them. Hmm. Go out and baptize everybody. That's good news. <laughs> well, it's actually a command. You don't really have a choice about it. All right. And then if you believe and are baptized, you will be saved. We say, well, if I'm baptized... Or if I believe, well, how do I come to faith? Like, what does faith look like, and yeah. how do I how do I get this faith? Well, it's
1: whoever, but but in whoever believes, yeah. But uh, that still is uh,
0: an if word, right? Well, it's translated as if so often. Mm-hmm. It's an if then statement. It's so often translated as an if then statement. If you believe and, are, which is why I think the, the like again, we implicitly insert the then in place of the and. Mm. If you believed, then, or you know, as a as a result of believing, you decide to be baptized you can be saved we can import all sorts of words there yeah right well in the same way that we add the word symbolizes right. <laughs> into the lord's supper this symbolizes my body this symbolizes no it, where does it say that likewise we insert if then thinking conditions into the promise mm-hmm. right or at least in my, speaking anecdotally i've had this conversation so many times yeah that's why i bring it up well and i and i think there's um, a danger
1: Especially when, when it's a liturgical form, when you take True. God's word and it's set in a liturgical way, right? So yeah. you say it every week to, to be like, eh, I feel like I need to explain this a little bit more by inserting more words there. And in the process, right. you might actually corrupt the meaning or, or at right. least distract from the main meaning or, or some, you know, in some way distort it. That up, right. So
0: that it no longer actually means what it's supposed to say. Y- well, you know. the more words you use, the less well, you you demonstrate that you don't really understand what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Because it's actually the less words you use that demonstrate you know what you're talking about. Unless you're doing a long form podcast, then go crazy. But, <laughs> yeah, but but in relation to catechizing, in relation mm. to Sunday schooling, in relation to teaching and Bible studies and so forth an economy of words is a benefit. My, again, this is just my opinion, but an economy of words is a benefit to your laity who are not theologically trained. They're not professional theologians. They haven't gone to seminary. They might have an eighth grade level education or an eighth grade level attention span or vocabulary that for myself, again, speaking personally, I've spent the last 10 years of my ministry constantly seeking to grind down what I'm saying and teaching to a point. So that there is an economy of words because studying Luther's catechism and even the large catechism, I have such great respect for his economy with words. Yeah. And the reading something like Peter's makes me appreciate how hard he worked to come to that point. And I also see my mistake coming out of seminary, especially coming out of a graduate program. Oh, yeah. Where I know Luther. I've taught classes on Luther at the seminary how verbose I was. I, again, we've talked about this before. When I read old sermons, how verbose I was. Yeah. And yet what what I come to the conclusion of is you didn't really know how to say this. So you were you were rabbit trailing this whole sermon. When you it's just clear,
1: to, I mean, especially if you have if you don't have long-term memory, you go back and you read it and like, I don't even know what point I was trying to make anymore. Right,
0: exactly. Because there's
1: some, it's, it's so, thought clouds, thought bubbles. Well, and you know at the time, you know at
0: the time you thought what you were saying is really important.
1: And and that you were saying it clearly too, right? That you were you were just doing a long yeah, for form sure. exposition, yeah. Uh, yeah. And that was logical point A, point B, and then going back and reviewing it, like I failed to see how right. any of this made
0: any sense. It's for me, it's one humbling and two. I now think back on all those people who b- boasted about how good my sermons were, and now I question their taste. Like yeah, I really question what it, what was the Holy Spirit allowing you to hear in those sermons because when i was rabbit trailing in a sermon i'm like you said i'm not quite sure i knew what the point was like i got to the point at the end of the sermon yep. but i could have trimmed five paragraphs mm. and and it would have not changed the sermon at all mm. and i think that's the point is that to to speak with an economy of words to teach with an economy of words to open up the space for questions to let the confessions come out in the form of questions especially in bible studying confirmation instead of constantly monologuing and talking over the top of everybody and lecturing them on what they, they should already believe or what they do believe, whether you know they do or not stepping back from that and really saying, are all my words just covering up the fact that I don't really understand what I'm trying to say.
1: Yeah. Well, and there's also the fact that if you're starting to add a lot of words, you're going to probably end up sidelining the text, right? The actual scripture. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I like, I like the style of study where you, what do what do we call it? Well, exegetical. No, what what do you call it when you read it a verse and then and then consider it, and meditate upon it, right? And there, that was what Luther's said, sermon style:
0: tentatio, meditatio, meditatio, meditation. Yeah. Actually, you're yeah. meditating on the words.
1: Yeah, and that that's a that can be a very helpful way um for people especially in a group setting to kind of dig mm-hmm. into a text because they're going to have different perspective different things are going to catch their attention and then that gives you an opportunity to build each other up right 100 right, mm-hmm.
0: and and i've uh, well let the, the text of, be at the center right right I, I think i've talked about this before too but friends of mine who are police talk about when you bring someone in for questioning you don't really have to interrogate them to get Mm. them to admit the truth you just have to ask them one or two questions because guilty people will go on for hours about why they're not guilty Mm. whereas a person that's not guilty will not just ramble (laughs) right so for example the one example the one example for example the one example the one example that i always remember is uh, a man's wife is murdered in their house and they bring him in for questioning because usually it's the person that's closest to the person murdered that usually is a part of this or the murderer. And he just kept saying over and over again, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. That's all he had to say. I didn't do it. Then they brought in these other suspects. And sure enough, it was either the fifth or the sixth interview. This person could not stop talking about how he wasn't guilty and all of these reasons why he wasn't guilty. And he couldn't possibly have murdered her. And they all knew from experience, he's the guy. Yeah, because he's already he's already worked that out, <laughs> right? And so now their job isn't to get him to like their job now is to essentially take everything he's been saying and lead him in a direction that will finally get him to admit, yeah, I murdered her.
1: Yeah, because you're talking about premeditated, so yeah, exactly. it's already in his mind. I mean, I, right. there there are going to be crimes of passion that that are spontaneous, well,
0: sure. But even in crimes of passion, it's still going to be a justification of the murder. Well, of course, yeah. Because you want to get that involuntary manslaughter's plea. Exactly. (laughs) Whereas as a pastor, then similarly speaking, when someone comes to me and they're really burdened by guilt or shame or fear, they're they're really burdened by sin. Their confession is very economic. It's very streamlined. And it usually involves a breakdown Mm -hmm. that happens rather quickly. And so it's... Can I talk to you? The text or the call comes, hey, can we get together? Can we talk? I just, I really need this. And so I set a time and it's like, I can like, we exchange small talk, like just immediate like, hey, how you doing? Yeah. I'm not doing too well. some sort. Do you want to, you know, what do you, what do you, and usually it takes less than a minute before they're just exploding. It's, they're splonk mm-hmm. nine, all right. Their guts are spilling out all over and I don't really have to do anything other than just listen and once in a while, just kind of redirect the conversation, the confession toward Jesus. Mm-hmm. But that ultimately, and we've talked about this too. That's why the 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 LSB individual confession absolution is so helpful yeah. to help guide that kind of provide parameters. But when someone's really guilty, they they'll tell you they're guilty. When someone's not guilty, and they're trying to talk around their guilt, or you know, they're trying to convince you they're not guilty, they'll go on forever. Yeah. The, likewise, well, the difference is in
1: a in a in a like a police station. Uh, it's law, Yeah. <laughs> whereas if they come before you, it's gospel, right? I hope so. Yeah. yeah. So That's what I'm trying to guide them. Well, if that's the premise, then yes, of course I can reveal all this to you, pastor, because right. you're here to forgive me, whereas And <laughs> right. in the police setting, um, it's going to be pretty obtuse, but it sounds right. like the
0: cops still know. And one last example now that we're talking about it. I used to preach 25, 30-minute sermons. Mm. Now I preach 7 to 11-minute sermons, mm-hmm. and the reason is... As I've gone along I've become more and more economic with my words and more and more to the point mm-hmm. grinding down the text grinding down the text but also recognizing that the heart of the divine service ain't my wor- ain't my sermon it's not my not my words but it's the lord's supper these are the words these are this is the thing that makes the the divine service the divine service although this, there
1: were plenty of people in the pew who probably did think it was the
0: sermon they 100% did awesome. and I had to catechize them we did we've done many bible studies on the sermon Mm-hmm. Just what is it? Why do we do it? The history of sermons and preaching, Herman Sase in his essay on preaching in the sacraments covers this really well in the Week and Fast anthology. Is that again moving away from the sermons the thing, which is a very Protestant move, very recent move within the last three hundred years, to no, historically from the very beginning, the Lord's Supper is not only the heart of the church, the heart of the service, it's the heart of the Christian life. Built on the foundation of baptism. Yeah. And so I can go on and on for 25 or 30 minutes, but what am I doing? What's the purpose? What's the trajectory and the goal of the sermon versus let's just get to the point, which is the Lord's Supper. And the sermon then is simply to take the text, to preach Jesus as gift, and then point to the gift. And so that's the thing is that when the sermon is all about, like when the sermon becomes the thing then, yeah, the sermon has to be long, 45 minutes, an hour, 30, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. Versus if the Lord's Supper is the thing, then get in, exposit the text, proclaim Jesus for you, and get out. Yeah, yeah. And (laughs) Luther had that advice, even though practically speaking, he was 45 minutes to an hour. Oh, my goodness. His (laughs) sermons are tedious. Oh, wow. But again, it's also a different time too, is that that's not just preaching the text, but that's also your, that's your um, Bible study. meeting. It's your Bible study. It's everything. Mm-hmm. Like he's covering everything. It's it's the news of the day. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the announcements. It's all covered in the sermon. And again, we've just simply taken that stuff out of the sermon and just added it onto the service. And so worship's not over till the announcements are done.
1: Yeah. And incidentally, uh, all of those announcements previous and post the service and all the other stuff that right. we pulled out, that still all counts against your allotted service length. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah. If it's an hour, then
0: that counts against your hour. So, uh, yeah, it still matters. So, I just, and again, I I don't care if you preach long sermons or short sermons. Don't judge me for the mm. length of my sermons. Mm-hmm. Um but rather... That's not the point. Exactly. It's not the point. But we get all hung up on the thing. We don't get hung up on the context or the content, the substance of it. Yeah. And this is what Luther's driving at with baptism is get to the point mm-hmm. and don't be verbose. Don't belabor the point. Don't load it up with hyperbole or load it up with a whole bunch of flowery prose to give meaning to the right because it stands on its own in its own way.
1: And it, and even he, it took... Uh, you know, many, many years to kind of, to whittle that down, to narrow that down and to, to communicate that very clearly.
0: Peter's points to 1520, but you can even go back 1518, 1517, because you read his Romans lectures. Mm-hmm. He's wrestling with this stuff in, the, in Romans chapter 6, 7 and 8. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then to go on, um, Luther, yeah, Luther uses Mark 1615 to concentrate on the universal nature of the mission, which he tirelessly reiterated in his preaching. Mm. Go forth into the whole world. Much like at the beginning of creation, with the New Testament, the whole purpose is what? Go out, get out, cover the world. Again, in creation, water, and then the dry ground, and then the creation of all of all things. Mm-hmm. In baptism, same thing. Drawing out of the water a new creation. Yeah. And therefore the whole world must be blessed with these life's these life giving waters. And so then he goes over to what is said in Matthew and continues, not with preach the gospel to all creatures, as we were just talking about, but with teach all the Gentiles and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In which case, the peoples, as referred to in the Bible translation, are specifically the Gentiles, the heathen, who are disqualified because of enmity with God and who are concurrently to be summoned for salvation. Look at that.
1: Yeah, there you go. There is an emphasis in our... Um, evangelical efforts or evangelism upon the unchurched. I think right. you, you know, if, you, if you're in any kind of church setting, that's always the talk. Well, we need to reach the unchurched, or the dechurched is the new term. I love these slogans. They're, they're yeah. so so. Uh, Same clear. thing, different words. Yeah. So the unchurched are the people who once were the dechurched are those who were once churched and now are unchurched. Uh, right. But regardless of that, I mean, the, there is a point there um, that those who have not received the gift of baptism need that gift right, right. So, so that is a specific emphasis that we have uh, is to go out looking for those uh, who haven't heard god's word and, and haven't been baptized
0: it's like uh, this, this is the way we soften words uh, talk about um, how shell shock got changed to battle fatigue battle fatigue got changed to operational exhaustion and operational exhaustion got changed to post-traumatic stress disorder is you just take the thing and you just keep softening it with language until it loses all of its meaning. It's completely dehumanized. Yeah. And we do the same thing then. Yeah. <laughs> is we say unchurched or post-church. Well and the problem is at root, what we're really arguing about is what we're what we're not really acknowledging is the Christendom model of the church is dead. Yeah. <laughs> and therefore we can't assume anymore that everybody we're talking to is some kind of Christian.
1: I saw a stat, I don't, it's social media, so who knows if it's true, but something like, that as far as the number of people uh, who are unbelievers, you know, the U.S. Is, has the third highest concentration or something sure. like that per capita, which, well, maybe it's true, I don't know. But right. uh, knowing my neighbors, yeah, that actually seems pretty accurate. Right. Any pastor
0: will tell you, though, that there are plenty of unchurched people in their church. Oh, there's that as well. (laughs) And again, you abandon the simil and you start treating this in this we, they, tribalism kind of way. That there's those who are inside the tribe and then there's all those people who are outside the tribe versus the simil, which is saying, actually, you're all Mm. at at enmity with God. Yeah. (laughs) And yet simultaneously, concurrently, you are summoned to salvation through the waters of baptism. No,
1: there's this way that
0: we set up these boundaries and the artificial
1: boundaries and uh, or, or descriptions or whatever, mm-hmm. and and in the process we kind of miss the point that you know for example uh, if you have a Lutheran day school you have a substantial number
0: of people there that are unbelievers in your own midst
1: right you know well
0: the lines aren't real that's the thing is yeah. that the lines that we create aren't real mm. <laughs> but we create them in order to be able to categorize people into their groups into their tribes <laughs> and then we can judge them. And ultimately, we do this because we want to prove that we're better than other people. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah, theology Versus, by comparison, right? Right. <laughs> hmm. Well, again, it's, it's it's theology by what we're not. Hmm. It's it's living in the negatives. Hmm. And so we create these artificial lines rather than simply talking to our Roman Catholic and Baptist friends, our Methodist and Presbyterian friends, or even people who've never been to church before. Yeah, agnosticist, yes, yeah. Right, and go, hey, what what do you believe? Or what don't you believe? Or, or where are you at with this question? Or what are you thinking about? Like we were talking before we started the podcast about the golden rule. Or love your neighbors yourself and how even Epicureans, we would call them, have now become really interested in this this question, this conversation. And that non-religious people who don't even believe in God as a personality are now coming to the conclusion that the purpose of life is love and kindness and not love in the way of selfishness, but love in the way of selflessness. Yeah. And that the purpose of life is to build up and encourage and, and give other people freedom through your love of them to, I guess, really um, find out who they are, figure out who they are yeah, so they can do it. And it turns out that uh, the topics of conversation
1: that were once not to be had in polite Um, company right Right? so what were they politics religion and sex that actually those are things that are pretty important
0: um, to us not only spiritually but you know physically in our day-to-day life and not only that but the conversations that used to be exclusive to the church in this country Mm. have now essentially left the church and become the conversation that everybody's having outside the church yeah and then Hmm. especially in conservative churches where we, we are, I don't want to say, uncomfortable talking about politics, religion, and sex. But like we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast, we certainly have our prejudices and our, our bent, our skew, which direction right. we want to talk. And we often then create these lines and we refuse to cross them and consider the other person's position. But then
1: out of fear, we don't talk about them at all because we right, don't want exactly. to offend. Because if we have these conversations, we might cause a problem. Whereas, right. you know, you might be surprised that other people people, Christian or otherwise, might be interested in talking about baptism, right. and you might not actually offend them in the process. Well,
0: and as we were, we were discussing before the podcast, we have gone from the, the chief command is love God as yourself, or love God with your whole heart, your whole spirit, and your whole mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself secondarily. We've gone from, well, the purpose of the law is love in the way of selfless love, self-giving mm-hmm. love, to we don't even talk about love anymore in relation to law. We talk about obedience, Yeah, And then when we encounter people of other religions or of no religious faith whatsoever, we can't talk about love with them in the way of the law because we don't think that the purpose of the law is love. We think it's obedience. And therefore, since you're not obedient in the way that I'm obedient, you can't possibly have anything to say to me that's going to be of any benefit to me because all you want to do is talk about love. Yeah, you you're automatically excluded at that point or you have your version of obedience to the law Mm. as you interpret it and i have my version of being obedient to the law as i interpret it which is the history of religion Mm -hmm. that is the old adam religion in a nutshell is just the history of the interpretation of law in the way of love as obedience or just obedience in general who cares about love it's Mm. just obedience to the law yeah and we lose our common ground then Exactly. So rather than working backwards from love into faith, into the specificity of faith in the way of promise, sign, and faith, mm-hmm. baptism, Lord's Supper, the Christ Christ's love for us, yes. Right, exactly. You can't get to Jesus because you don't really need Jesus when you start talking about obedience to the law other than just treating him as a role model for how to be obedient to the law. Mm. But then you get into the Gospels, and you butt up against Jesus loving prostitutes, loving tax collectors, loving sinners, and going, well, that's not possible because they're not obedient. So maybe the case is Jesus loved them so much that they went off and then they were obedient to the law. Or were baptized at Pentecost. (laughs) Or what if Jesus loved them so selflessly? He loved them so much for their own sake that they then went away and they loved others in the way that Jesus loved them up to and including being baptized and preaching and teaching that to others.
2: Hmm.
0: That maybe that's the purpose of Jesus loving them unconditionally is so that they might love others unconditionally.
2: Hmm.
0: Yeah, truly transformative stuff there. Huh. Hmm. Or, no, Jesus hung out with them. He probably taught them some, some gave them some insights and some tips on how to be obedient to the law. And then they went off and they cleaned themselves up and became Pharisees.
1: Well, it's, yeah, so the, kind of the undercurrent there is that we can treat... Um, the gospel and, and the gifts of the gospel in a way of obedience. Um, right? And f- that is a significant um, or very popular perspective on baptism, right? Of that course. it's an act of obedience. Right. And uh, There is a command, no doubt, but it's a command by way of promise, right? For the benefit, it's a command for the benefit of the promise.
0: Right. Well, that's the thing too, is that the old Adam thinks that ought equals can, mm. or must equals can. This is Emmanuel Consul premise mm. for ethics is ought equals can. God wouldn't command something that if he didn't intend for us to do it or give us the free will to do it or the ability. This is Erasmus's argument with Luther. Mm. Erasmus argues the same. Julian of McClanum argues the same thing with Augustine. Paul argues with Peter in Galatia about this, this very thing and the disciples of James. It's always the same argument, mm. it, which is, is the point what God is doing for you Or is the point what we're doing is the point of the command to stop us, to increase sin beyond all measure, to shut us up so we can stop justifying ourselves to God? Or is the purpose of the command that we go do it? Hmm. And the reason that people believe we have free will is because they actually believe that God gave us the free will to obey the law, right? which is why Christians get screwed up because we want to devote half of our time saying we have no choice about our salvation, but then devote the rest of our time saying, well, I mean... You, you still got to do stuff if you want to be saved. Hmm. So it's like, well, what do you mean? Well, you can't choose to come to faith. You can't choose to be saved, but you kind of have to do stuff in order to be saved. To stay saved. To stay saved. That's a better way of saying it. To stay inside the tent. You gotta. You gotta earn your keep. Right. Yeah. So now they're now now you're bound by rules.
1: It was all right. gift.
0: At the beginning, <laughs> right. right to get you into the tent, it's all a gift. But once you're in the tent, you, you got to contribute. You got to do stuff. Well, that's kind of bait and switch, This is the religion it? of the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. What must I do today to be saved? Yeah, and so we turn Jesus into a Pharisee, hmm. so that we can be Pharisees, little Pharisees, <laughs> little Pharisees. That's the problem. Then is that the universal nature of the mission is the whole world, meaning not israelites not mm-hmm. jews but the gentile yeah and specifically the heathen yeah exactly specifically those who are at enmity with god yeah the ones we don't really like being around versus in a christendom model the church in which luther is working obviously but especially in the last hundred years it's well let's just convince other christians that their christianity is wrong so they'll come to our church because our christianity is right yeah it's kind of like uh, the
1: last parish i served they uh the the growth of the church, the explosive growth they had at the beginning, mm-hmm. um, was actually finding all the Lutherans who had moved to town. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, you're like, oh, that I'm sure that was hard. Well, yeah, yeah. well, they just didn't want to drive to the other town anymore because they but lived here. That's
0: like going to Africa and hunting inside of a game preserve that has fences, <laughs> and then bragging about how you didn't hunt. you did not hunt, dude. <laughs> they were all the all the they were all inside this enclosure. It's ten acres. You didn't they're domesticated. <laughs> right, essentially right, exactly. It's like, that's not hunting. <laughs> Likewise, if you're just taking Christians from other churches, that's not really evangelism. Mm. It's, a, it's a Christendom way of thinking. <laughs> yeah. But the, then I wonder, the thought bubble here, I wonder how many people who grow up in that atmosphere, in that ecosystem, as they're growing up, they go, well, wait a minute, I have Baptist friends and I have Roman Catholic friends and I have non-Christian friends and they're nice people. Mm, and right. they're good people and they're actually better behaved and they are less gossipy and less judgmental and less this and less that than my christians that i, I go to right. church with on sunday yeah and so i'm leaving and they grew up to say a christian is a christian is a christian and we all believe in the same god we just have different names for that god like it goes to that point right of kind of a universalist
1: or maybe just different emphases
0: yeah different emphases and so then you bounce around because you kind of bounce into that corporate model of the church where you're kind Mm -hmm. of shopping for a church, and you say, well, I grew up Baptist, but I really dig this Lutheran service, and uh, I like what you teach about baptism. But I was over at this other church, and they have really cool symbols, and I like the ritual at that church, so I'm going to go over there now. But then I get kind of tired of that, so I'm going to go to the Methodist church and check them out now. It becomes a smorgasbord.
1: Yeah, yeah. I like the band at that church, but then that got old, and so then it was all the acts of mercy that that church is doing. Right, But then... Yeah, that wasn't quite as fulfilling. Too yeah. much work. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the real reason,
0: right? Hmm. You have too much emphasis on what I have to do, and it gets tiring after a while.
1: Yeah,
0: and so you never come back around to the whole point of the law is to love selflessly, mm. as Jesus has loved you, or Jesus has already fulfilled the law for you, and thus in Romans three thirty one, faith is the fulfillment of the whole law. Like, mm. like we 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 want to chew and cannibalize each other over obedience to the law, not recognizing that true obedience is selflessness. Yeah. (laughs) And so we create these artificial, these fake lines that aren't real. And then we say, if you cross that line, you're not with us. And if you're not with us, you're an enemy of the faith. You're not a real Christian. You're not sanctified. You're not justified. You're X, Y, and Z. Not recognizing the true church is hidden everywhere. Yeah. And then do the same thing
1: with baptism. And and rather than being a universal mission of the church, make it into this um, narrow you know, targeted demographic mission. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) You know, find people like us who we want to baptize so that they're like us. Right, exactly, exactly. Let's
0: make a social contract out of baptism. Hmm. Not bueno. So, the conclusion is once again shaped by the Markan text. In a somewhat restated fashion, whoever believes that and is baptized, Mm -hmm. that one will be or come to be saved. Mm -hmm. But the one who does not believe, that one will become damned. Oh, I'm sorry, it's become. That's why it's in brackets. Yeah. Become saved, become damned. Yeah. So believe and baptized will become saved, but who does not believe will be damned. Hmm. Which also answers the question well, what happens if I believe but I die before I am baptized? Yeah, right. Well, that would be a that's a law question, essentially.
1: Yeah, because the two the two phrases aren't exactly parallel. Right. It's believe and be baptized, you're saved, and then Believe or not believe, and then damn. Right, but it's right, not, exactly.
0: Not because if if you don't believe, you're not going to be baptized anyway. Right, exactly. Which raises the question then of people who in the church fight against being baptized because belief is enough. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Sequentially speaking, you're wrong because and... you're
1: effectively saying to God in His Word, "I don't believe what you say exactly. about baptism." Right.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and I've made this. I've had this conversation as I've talked about with friends of mine who aren't Lutheran about the Lord's Supper. Mm, yeah, essentially adding the word "symbolizes" to the words of institution is calling Jesus a liar. Yeah, right. You're, you're essentially saying to God that His words aren't good enough, or they're not effective, and they need to be tweaked. That's precisely what what
1: the, the serpent did, you know, with Eve in right, the garden. Exactly. Exactly. It's like, did God really say? Didn't He right. say
0: that you will, you know, and they just add a few words? Exactly. <laughs> we we have to dress it up because. Well, it can't possibly be this because all I have to do is look at the bread to know it's not the flesh of Jesus. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. (laughs) Yeah. So whoever believes that it it is baptized, that one will become saved, but the one who does not believe, that one will become damned. Mm -hmm. Luther has in mind that this is the way to encapsulate the entire mystery of baptism. Yeah. That's really the key. It's a mystery. Just like the Lord's Supper is a mystery. In fact, the forgiveness of sins is a mystery. (laughs) Like, how can I have my sins forgiven every Sunday or whenever, weekly, regularly, daily, and yet I don't seem to get better? Like mm-hmm. I was saying about baptism, like I'm baptized, why doesn't anything feel different? <laughs> yeah,
1: because earth, uh, forgiveness in terms of uh, your neighbor um, normally is is some kind of transactional thing, give and take, you know, tit and tat. Right.
0: Well, and I think for myself too, as a former atheist, I hate <laughs> when my atheist way of thinking is affirmed by the faith itself. <laughs> It just, it really angers me personally (laughs) when I'm like, as an atheist, I said, well, that doesn't really do anything. It doesn't change anything. Then I went and got baptized and nothing changed. Yeah. Externally speaking, individually speaking, existentially. Obviously everything changed. I'm not saying baptism is ineffective, but for myself at that point in time, when this happened to me 20 years ago, it was just kind of like, where's my aha moment, (laughs) you know? And where's the mystery revealed to me? I thought when I got baptized, the veils would be lifted from my eyes and I would see all things clearly. Hmm. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. In fact, I got married and that made me more sinful. And then I had kids, which made me even more sinful. Then I became a pastor, which made me extremely sinful. Like, it's just God keeps throwing people at me. And it's almost like he doesn't care about the fact that more people just seems to accentuate my sinfulness. Right.
1: Right. It gives like, you more and wow. more
0: opportunity. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's oh, like, yet another person I can offend. Great. And that is really the appeal of a, of a monastic life. Hmm. That's why the Benedictine option is, was so popular, is so popular, because the problem that I have is that God keeps sending people <laughs> to interrupt my selfishness and force me to be selfless in the way that I recognize, oh, you people, you just draw out the worst of me. <laughs> Come on, Riley, don't screw this up. Right, exactly. Don't drop the ball. You're almost in the end zone. (laughs) So Luther has that in mind, that this is the way to encapsulate the entire mystery of baptism. For this reason, we will need to orient our commentary according to this rendering that Luther, you know, sets down about baptism. Mm. Whoever believes that and is baptized, that one will become saved, but the one who does not believe, that one will become damned. Right. That's the mystery of baptism. In a nutshell. It is. So, Luther insists on the importance of emphasizing that Christ instituted the sacrament. On the one hand, he follows the nominalism of the late Middle Ages, and on the other hand, he anticipates the way the issue is framed today. Hmm. Yeah. A prophet. Right. The question about the historicity of the command by the resurrected one to baptize is obviously never discussed.
1: He's referring there to the dis- that Mark 16 is disputed, like an addition. Right, exactly. To That's the text. a
0: later addition to the mm-hmm. text. Which in modern Bibles has that yeah. little bracket. Yeah, I know our pew Bibles do. For sure. Pew
1: Bibles? I, yeah. I
0: did yeah, say pew stinky Bibles. Bibles. <laughs> Bibles. <Stinky> Bibles.
1: <laughs>
2: pew, pew.
0: For yeah. Luther, it was important that one would have a genuine confidence in the faith that our baptism is not from human beings, but that it stems from God's own self-revelation. Mm-hmm. That he still presents his argumentation in a, quote-unquote, naive, unhistorical way can be seen in how he makes reference to the Ten Commandments, the Creed, and the Lord's Prayer, and also in his view on temporal ordinances, all such have been revealed and given by God himself, quote-unquote. The critical and historical sense is still bound up in the concerted effort to establish the biblical foundation of the sacraments. Yeah, this is interesting. What's he
1: getting at there? I mean... Uh, because we have in our modern setting, I think, I think Peters is probably referring to the historic critical method, right? Mm-hmm. And that Luther isn't following that kind of methodology, where we can interpret the words based upon only upon their historic, immediate historic context. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That, but again, that the, these are these are actually God's words, despite right. having come in a very specific historic
0: context. and in a Christendom world, you can get away with it, I think. Hmm. But if you look at the early church apologetics, and you look at apologetics today and how necessary and needed apologetics are today, a large part of my apologetics when I talk with non-Christians is to prove the historicity of Jesus.
1: Yeah.
0: Again, he's concrete and real. These things actually happened.
1: Right, which is interesting because we don't deal with, uh, you know, the text of Jesus going down into the water with John, right? Right. To be baptized by John, um, which it's not, because it's not the institution of baptism, it's not, it's not Christian mm-hmm. baptism, um, but it does teach us what baptism is. Well, it's is.
0: included in our baptismal we'll right in the Lutheran service book. That is true. That yeah. he sanctified all waters. Yeah. Well, that was disputed, by the way, whether that, that should was. be in there. What?
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> Along with referring Shut to the up. flood and referring to the Oh, exodus, the flood prayer. Yeah, no, I a, yeah. I
0: have a friend who uh, will wax poetic for hours on the wrongness of the flood prayer. Oh, really?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's allegory yep
0: hmm. okay it's generational it's generational you got Where? the the so-called bronzy lutherans you got the mm. you know different generations were taught different things at seminary
1: well that statement in particular is challenging right he instituted yeah. all waters to be uh, a lavish washing away of sin
0: right and uh, what's the, so what was luther getting at with that word right hmm. yeah we just kind of gloss over it because we only pull it out when we baptize somebody yeah right so it's not talking about like when you take a shower or, or take a bath. No, yeah, of... exactly. When you run through the sprinkler, you're baptized. Mm-hmm. That would be the Mormon way of looking at it,
1: <laughs> right? But I th- but he's referring back to those other um, those other accounts. Well, like
0: we did at the beginning of the podcast when we right. were talking about spirit versus water baptism is by way of of signs, promised signs in faith. It, there's nowhere historically where God separates the promise from the sign and the sign from the faith. Mm-hmm. It's words, water, spirit, over and over and over and over again. And so there's a pathology in the way in which God chooses to save his people. right? H- historically, concretely, in a real way. And I think in the present tense, because we're in this, again, we're not in that Christendom model anymore, even though the the tendrils of it still cling to us. When we discuss baptism with our own people, I think again, they treat it as an idea in search of meaning. Mm. They treat it as a symbol, as a sign of something, but not the thing itself. Whereas Luther would say the meaning um, is in the word, but
1: right. but, e- but it's even in um, the history of Israel, right, or yes. of all creation. Even so, I mean, whether it's the flood or it's the Exodus through the Red Sea, and, right? Uh, that those, I mean, death and resurrection, um, the life of the baptized, it's right there. Right.
0: Uh, we have water and you have a word and com- there's command and promise. Think about this in the way of the psalmist, that the psalmist declares repetitively, all of creation praises its maker,
2: hmm.
0: that the crashing of the waves, the wind blowing through the trees, the chirping, those are all actually praising. Those are hymns of praise. Like all of creation is praising the creator. Likewise, then for the psalmist, all of creation is caught up in the saving work of God for us. And that's what's revealed to faith. So therefore, when we look upon the waters in a river or a lake or we're by the ocean or we're running the faucet, it should point us to baptism because all of creation points us to this is how God saves us from sin and death. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not that washing your hands, not that listening to a bird chirp will preach the gospel to you, even though Luther said that. Um, And he meant that in the way of faith. Well, he meant that in the way of faith. He meant not in the way of St. Francis of Assisi, this Mm -hmm. kind of, again, this internal thing that's happening to you preaching without words yeah right but rather what luther is saying is for the new man in christ all creation preaches the gospel all creation and you and i both know this from experience there are some days when you can sit out on outside and and watch uh some birds or watch a chipmunk or just watch the clouds go by and go thank you jesus and praise christ for that and there's other days where you're head down you're busy you don't pay attention to it and you don't feel like it well that's the point is that um when you see
1: the beauty and when you experience the, you know, the, the gift of creation, uh, I think it's meant to drive you to the, the idea that actually, you know, apart from Christ, this all would have been over, right? Right, exactly. That this would have unraveled.
0: I'd be dead, <laughs> for right. one thing. Uh, there definitely wouldn't be a church. And there definitely wouldn't be a church. So, Because as St. Athanasius says in his book on the Incarnation, we don't follow, like, y- you can't sustain the teachings of a dead man, for for all this time mm, like right. if jesus died on the cross and didn't rise from the dead why are people suffering martyrdom for him then? Why are people who are not even the Israelites, they're Gentile heathens, why are they coming to faith in this Jewish Messiah? Right. Why are people getting baptized and believing that the gospel actually has power and it actually does change adulterers into people who are celibate and chaste and it changes thieves and criminals into honest men and it changes atheists into believers? Like if, you, if this dude just died on the cross, why is that happening? It, it doesn't. So therefore, for Athanasius even, the proof is just simply in the fact that when the gospel is preached, people believe it. Hmm. But that's, again, a historical apologetic. If he didn't rise from the dead in actual point of fact, how can you really explain all this other stuff happening?
1: Yeah. And Athanasius has the benefit of speaking, um, you know, kind of, he's speaking of the long game. <laughs> yeah. We're not sure. talking about, like, short-term life of a congregation, but but the, the long life of, of, of the faith. You know, right we see saints and angels and right. everyone
0: right, exactly, and that uh, this whole conversation I've been having the past really year but really heightened since January February is why is Christianity in decline in America mm. and talking at this retreat a couple of weeks ago at Pastor Finker's Church. Kind of solidifying all that and teaching that constantly here in my congregation, Catechiz- catechetically, cataclysmically speaking, catechetically speaking. Was a slip! Catechetically speaking, there's only one reason the church is in decline, and that's because we're not preaching the gospel and the gifts. Mm-hmm. We're not pointing to Christ and the gifts. Third article of the creed: explanation of the catechism. No faith. No faith. Because mm-hmm. no gospel, no faith. No gifts, no faith, no church. So, therefore... And then no Christians. <laughs> exactly. So, you can't really say, well, the proof that Jesus isn't really Jesus, God, didn't really rise from the fact that the church is dying now, and that really it was just the empire, the European empire, it was the Christendom empire that kept everything going all these years, which is a pretty shallow argument when you really dig into it. Mm-hmm. Um, Nonetheless, what we're arguing is, yeah, there's no gospel, there's no baptism, there's no body and blood, there's no faith, there's no church. So take away gospel and gifts, then there's no church. Ergo, there you go. Yeah, and then
1: even places where, where we might say, well, there's a church, um, you know, and you see success and growth. It's short term. It's not long term. It's built around a guru, for example, you know, some charismatic speaker um, who has great life lessons, he's very practical, um, and yet it's not the sort of thing that's going to preserve a church for generations to come.
0: It doesn't, because when the guru leaves, the church implodes, because it's it's a charismatic movement. We see that even in uh, Mission Starts within our own
1: fellowship, you know, uh, where where the, the founder can't leave. And why can't he leave? Well, one, he's got too much pride and arrogance himself to think that this is all about him, Uh, but it might actually indicate the fact that it's not built upon the gospel, something that that does last forever, even when uh, sepals are falling.
0: (laughs) Right, exactly. Yeah, and in the way of the gospel, in the way of gifts, 10 people is overflowing, 5 people is overflowing, 3 people is overflowing. But in the way of our righteousness and our self-chosen sacraments and our... Self-chosen way of worshiping and believing in God, or or how we want to, you know, teach Jesus to serve us best. A thousand, a million is isn't enough because that, like I said, that charismatic movement that's driven by the the leader. Remove the leader, and everything crashes to the ground. Yeah, well, and it's so because it's all built upon,
1: um, you know, our hopes, expectations, right? You know, it's it's built upon scarcity, which
0: we've talked about before, right? right? That, well, and you see this constantly in the Old Testament in the way of Israel is that. When they turn aside from God, when they go their own way and and God gives them the desires of their hearts and they're dragged away into slavery, and then the children are the ones who Hmm. truly repent in, in hunger and thirst for righteousness... It's this constant back and forth between we repented, we came back through our hard work and struggles, we rebuilt Israel, and then our kids grew up and they didn't have it hard and they didn't have to rebuild Israel. So then they got soft because life was easy and then they gave away the faith. And then, you know, it's this constant back and forth, this constant falling off of either side of the horse. And again, the thing that's missing is the promise. When they abandon the promise... Then something like worship just becomes mechanical.
2: Mm, Well, you've got
0: to offer the sacrifice, and if you offer the sacrifice, God will forgive you. Do you have any faith? Well, that doesn't matter. I just have to offer the sacrifice. Just go to the temple, buy your offering, give it to the priest. He'll sacrifice it for you. You're good. It's mechanical. Yeah. And it's
1: without freedom as well.
0: Completely without freedom, because you have to do it this way. Otherwise... You're not forgiven. You're damned, and you've damned all of us, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> so it's, it's driven. It's driven by fear, then, as well, one hundred percent. And yet, in the way of the promise, the freedom is the little the widows might. That's the mm-hmm. freedom of of the promise. Is the little that I have I give for the good of all, in the way of selflessness, in the way of selfless love, self giving love. And yet, for that widow who gave that penny, those couple pennies, that's nothing, right? Because there'll be there is always more, and. When you're in the way of the promise, then if there's five people in church or even two people in church, you don't sweat, how are we going to pay the bills? Because you're in the way of the gospel, you're in the way of abundance, you're in the way of of um, Jesus giving without end. And, and yeah, it may not be in the way of being able to keep the church building open or being able to pay the bills, but it the gospel will continue to be preached and the gifts will continue to be handed out, whether it's there or somewhere else.
1: Yeah. Well, God and, has a way
0: of tearing down our idols, and sometimes those are right.
1: buildings and institutional things, right?
0: Oh, right? well, for sure. That yeah. toxic
1: tribalism. Right. That it's all about me or us. Well, and even helpful we... things, you know, like like artwork oh, and crucifixes and organs and yeah. things that, that do benefit us. Um, and they're meant to be received as gift, but then they become like our most cherished possessions. Well, they
0: become a yoke. Mm. Like in Galatians, it becomes that yoke of slavery that we put back on our own necks. Yeah. And like you said, they're not good or bad. They're just things. They're objects. Mm-hmm. And it's how we use them or allow them to use us that oh, turns us one way or the other. Yeah, that's it. And we do this. This is the, Again, this is the tension of being simultaneously sinful and yet righteous in Christ, is that given, given, I don't know, a couple minutes, I can turn a crucifix with a corpus on it into an idol <laughs> and decide that that's the be all end all of my life. And if I don't have that crucifix... I'm lost versus it's my favorite. Right. Exactly. I, my grandmother bought this Hmm. and it's been here forever. (laughs) Right. Forever. And yet at the same time, in the way of the gospel, I recognize that that crucifix with the corpus on it is pointing me to the purpose of why I'm here. Jesus. It's not Jesus, but it points me to Jesus and it doesn't point me to my grandma, but rather it points me to the resurrection where my grandma already stands with angels and archangels and all the rest of the company of heaven. Yeah. It's and- kind of like
1: the the church um, that I went to before I went to seminary. Um, back in the 60- 50s, it burned down. Mm-hmm. It was an old wooden German A-frame. So then they built a new one out of stone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then 10 years later, that burnt down. Hmm. And so, I, I don't know. you and, I don't know about you, but me, hmm, the second, should we try again? Yeah, maybe it's a sign from God. Let's not even bother. <laughs> no. no, they built another church. Uh, they were cash-strapped at that point. Um, mm-hmm. So, they, you know, didn't spend a lot of money on it. Uh, and then that church is still there. So.
0: Well, there you go. Yeah.
1: So, oh, well, if if you don't succeed, try, try again or something like that. Right. If you don't right. succeed.
0: <laughs> well, and this is going to be the challenge going forward, I, especially the challenge for our children, is mm. that when the trappings of the church no longer attract people to the church. Yeah, when
1: they no longer have the big, beautiful building, what are they going to do? The,
0: well, not just the big, beautiful building, but when people look at those symbols and regard them as valueless. Mm. and actually regard them as an obstruction to worshiping God. I, I have plenty of people that I train with, for example, who mm. worship God. They believe in God. They just believe in a very non-specific God, and that for them, the specificity of so-called religion
2: yeah.
0: is how these institutions and organizations enslave and oppress us. Yeah, even if we
1: were going to be very minimal about it, mm. even the font, the pulpit, and the altar yeah. offend them.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so, how do we apologize for these things in the way of, well, these are signs, but they're not the thing. Mm -hmm. And that the true sign is the words water, bread, and wine. And therefore, I think I've told the story before of when I've had an atheist come to church and I've torn down religion. I've torn it apart with the atheist and said, no, 100% this is religion, this is Christianity. And then they come to church and go, you seem to have an awful lot of like religious stuff going on during your Mm -hmm. worship. Yeah. And then that's a fantastic conversation to have because you go, hey, absolutely, because why? Because we are flesh and blood, we are bound by time and space, and we need things that point us in the direction of what we're supposed to be here for, why we're here. Yeah, not necessary, but still helpful. Right, exactly. Not necessary, but helpful, exactly. So, for example, hymnals in the pews, not necessary, but super helpful if you've never been to church before.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: it's nice to have it all kind yeah, of laid the hymn out the numbers up on the wall, super helpful. Mm-hmm. Having a crucifix, kind of helpful.
1: Right.
0: <laughs> you know, having uh, maybe you have a, a bulletin, mm-hmm. kind of helpful to guide people through the service. Yeah, organs yet, are helpful
1: too. Organs
0: are nice. Organs are nice. Or guitar, whatever. Whatever. But that, at the end, can you hold those all in the dead hand of faith and let them drop, if necessary? Because they're not the thing. They're simply the instruments. They're the vehicle that we use to communicate this is where we're going. This is the point of why we're here.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm kind of hung up on this topic with architecture, spe- uh, specifically mm-hmm. because of the church fire at uh, Historic Trinity in Milwaukee. Sure. It's sure. all over uh, social and whatnot. But mm-hmm. uh, I also remember some of these... Oh, did it burn down? uh yeah like i'm not on social media so i don't know any of this stuff um, so they're estimating 17 million dollars in damage oh lord have mercy yeah like not it's structurally unsound okay and uh, they were able to recover some of the artwork from the altar and and parts of the altar i think but the organ mm-hmm. was destroyed for example but anyway sure. yeah big deal uh, it was the mother church for milwaukee so yeah right you know uh, second oldest lutheran church there in milwaukee right but regardless of that uh it also reminded me though of the um the bombed out church photos where they're having divine service in a church where it's bombed yeah, out, in like in Germany or yeah. in, in England or wherever. Yeah. And, um, you know, well, we don't have the building, but we can still, you know, hear God's word, baptize right. water, right. words. Uh, like you said, you need a font. It's nice to have a bowl, I think,
0: but you know, <laughs> something. Just something. Yeah. Right. You know, if you're not near a river. <laughs> well, this has happened even. Lake, it's going you know,
1: to where, where, like, the power went out, and so we couldn't meet in church because uh, we right. didn't have enough candles. Uh, so just set up in the narthex, you know, and right. it just used a, cardboard ta- or a
0: card table, which, yeah, it seems right. a little tacky. So we put a cloth over it or something. Take the time to reflect on the power of symbols mm. and that this, these are not small things, that that symbols have power. This is why advertising works.
2: Mm.
0: And even when we know we're being lied to, we still buy the products, <laughs>
2: Yeah. Even if, if it's completely
0: nature. illogical. Right, exactly. <laughs> Is that symbols have power. And as I've said before, Protestantism really sought to eliminate symbol, Roman Catholic, you know, Catholic stuff from the church. Mm. And yet they just replaced it with other symbols, other symbols, exactly. And you can't escape from it because, again, to give our lives meaning, to give our, us a sense of identity, a sense of belonging in time and space, we need those symbols. I never and, thought of uh, the skinny jeans and the polo as a
1: symbol, but I guess
0: No, it's absolutely a symbol of we're not <laughs> like that historical church over there. We're oh, not I like see. those old dead non-Christian people over there. Yeah. With their rituals and their liturgy and their vestments and that's old school, man. That's that's pre-reformation, pre-enlightenment, not that's 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 catholic. we mm-hmm. We're not catholics. We are Christians. Yeah. And so and it, like you said, but Slowly but surely, the the flotsam and jetsam of generations gets piled on top of the original. Again, like, again, and then you end up going. Why do you have smoke machines? <laughs> where, where, <laughs> where did that come from? <laughs> right. What, what is this? Well, in the Old Testament, you know, like this is not incense. Let my incense. Like I, I understand where you're coming from. I can I can stand there with you. I, I can I can even walk with you where you're going. But man, incense and smoke machines are two different animals.
1: Mm. I like lasers so, though.
0: <laughs> laser pointers or just lasers?
1: No, like if you're going to have a smoke machine and you got the lasers going... That's true, I mean, you do have to have the green... That's yeah, trans- sure. transcendental right there. That's right. Uh, but, but that's
0: what we're doing is we... You'll notice, though, whether it's in the one ditch or the other ditch, whether it's the polo shirt and khakis or whether it's the kind of Anglican high church, mm-hmm. those are just two opposite ditches where we, we lose our focus on the thing right. <laughs> and focus on ex- like non-essential matters. Right, so... Uh, there may be out of
1: necessity that you need to meet in someone's home instead of in a, right. you know, well, wait, wait a traditional sanctuary. Uh, yeah. Then there's also the crowd who say, no, you have to meet in homes, and they mm-hmm. so they idealize it, right? right? So we can right. idealize any of these things
0: and then make them necessary. Oh, for sure. Well, like I was saying, there's some people that will insist that you must be baptized in church at the font, period. mm mm-hmm. Or submerged or submerged versus sprinkled versus someone like myself who says i'll baptize you in the parking lot of a gas station i don't care Mm -hmm. like let's get this done i believe that this is the power of god unto salvation and you obviously have made the confession of faith so let's get this done and i will do that if that's what the holy spirit is calling me to do but that's an exception not the rule Mm -hmm. likewise i baptize babies in hospitals sure I would prefer to do that actually um, because of the whole matter of you're not guaranteed tomorrow. So why are we pretending like this baby's immortal when we all know that's not true? Well, it's Let's the pattern this.
1: and type of the old Testament and the eighth day.
0: Right. Exactly. Pattern and type, pattern and type <laughs> typology,
1: big fan of typology. Big fan. Um, big fan. Yep. But now it, now it's uh, two months until we can schedule everybody.
0: Of course. <laughs> and so we get so caught up in our desire our craving for meaning that is Mm. extra Mm -hmm. and again we it's baptism plus something else it's the words and the water plus something else versus no all that something else that's all accessories right but it's not the thing (laughs) and you can you can put so many ornaments on it you can so accessorize it that you actually obscure the thing itself it's like putting a dog in a sweater yeah. Well, we just get bored with what God actually said. Exactly. We just get bored with God. Mm-hmm. And his, like you pointed with out. With his word, with his blessing, with, with right. his promise. Right. And then the old serpent comes creeping up sideways and sends his agents to talk to us, to convince us, to persuade us that, hey, we can we can make this better. And then at some point we realize, oh, we're not Christians anymore. <laughs> right, exactly. God will. Exactly.
1: <laughs> His word calls us to repentance. <laughs> right. Or we don't recognize it at all, and we die. Right.
0: And so in the way of the gospel, it's a joy to simplify, to eliminate mm-hmm. the clutter, mm-hmm. and then recognize that, yeah, there are certain accessories and certain ornaments that are helpful because they're symbols, and they point us to Jesus, they point us to baptism. Stained glass windows is a perfect example. Mm-hmm. And yet, at the same time, we have to always consider them in a state of repentance, hmm. that I am in my own flesh sinful and, and resistant to God's grace in Jesus. Therefore, I will use every opportunity afforded to me to make an, a false God out of something that's not God. Yeah. And yet the new man in Christ in me is purposefully praying that God would murder the old Adam that hangs around my neck so that I can stop having to wrestle with these questions Right. So, um, what has God said about this gift,
1: and what have I come to believe that's getting in the way of that?
0: Exactly. Mm -hmm. And that's really, hopefully, the vocation of the pastor, too, is to help you get that clutter out of the way. Yeah. What's getting in the way of you and the first commandment? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or in this case, what's getting in the way of of you believing your baptism? Hmm? Well, that's why I said first commandment, because that's really what baptism's all about, is I will be your God, you will have no other gods. And how does God come to us in the way of being God for us? He makes us his children. Exactly. He makes us his children. He baptizes us in a very concrete historical way and then says, here's how you use your baptism. Go to the Lord's table, pray, hear the gospel, enjoy forgiveness, go love your neighbors yourself and don't worry about me keeping score. I'm not. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Actually, like that done. sounds very domestic, doesn't it? <laughs> it does, right? It's you know, not take very a bath, flashy. you know, have dinner
1: and uh, talk to each other, love each other, you know, hang out. Precisely.
0: Two, when I got nothing else, do you have anything else? Nope. Nope. It's all good, all gospelly like goodness, all gift. You got some it's, recommendations for us? I sure. Let's see what I got. I got uh, what was rain. That? What, what was the thing about the Cosmic Whatever? Oh, the Church of the Cosmic Skull. <laughs> my new favorite band for the summer. And what's the name of their first album? Oh, what is the name of the first album? Let me tell you. Is Satan Real? Isn't that the name of the first album? Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh. It's it's very much in the way of early 70s Deep Purple. The first album like, is. Yeah, I listened to both yeah. that and the, and the more recent one. Yeah, no, Ch- Church of the Cosmic I, Skull is for sure – solid fun their videos are i i spent a little bit too much time last night before bed watching uh, their videos on youtube i uh, got it because they even make their videos in the vein of early 70s music so a lot of bright colors a lot of primary colors they all dress in white uh the organist is off the chain with his organ playing it's so good i think the organ playing is even even stronger on
1: the second album but it is for sure i noted album. it i mean i don't know if yeah. it's more present in the mix or what but yeah. But
0: it's it's clear, like, oh yeah, this is the driving force for this band, yeah. is this organ. I, I I when I was listening to the, the the second album, I almost thought like if the flaming lips went backwards in a time machine and made an album with deep purple, this is what it would sound like. Yeah. Because it's got that that kind of wall of sound, that mm. density, that that's the thing about flaming lips, right? Is that flaming lips are like the super dense sound but super light simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't know if the, that's curr- right, the current the like version of it, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if that's coins hand or like. Who's no, it's doing... it's uh, what's his name, the keyboard player.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, can I can't pronounce his name last name. It starts yeah. with a D. Yeah. yeah,
0: but like that lightness in the midst of this really dense composition, and mm-hmm. you you look at it like early deep purple, like I said, early deep purple, especially with the keyboard, super dense, and yet because of Blackmore's playing and Ian Gillen's vocals. There's like this lightness to it at the same time. Mm-hmm. It kind of lifts the whole thing up.
2: Yeah,
0: and so Church of the Cosmic Skull really taps in. It's a recent band, but they really tap into that classic early '70s um, deep purplish sound. Even like early Yes.
1: Yeah, I thought so. I'm the the, the Prague elements are yeah uh, for sure are there and uh, well, like
0: that first song i sent you was like nine minutes long or something right exactly so and you, and you uh, at least four times i thought the song was over
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and so i had a, I had a good time laughing at that last night because the video even with the video i was watching the video and i thought okay song's over fade out no no nope, nope. and i was like nope this is totally early 70s <laughs> just how yeah. many uh, songs on the album four how long's the album two and a half hours
1: yeah, so when uh, if you remember some of those old albums, they w- it would just be one side of the LP. I mean, that's just yeah, time, exactly but, right. So you do one side, and then if you looked at the notes, oh, it's like part part one, two, three, and four.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Then when it comes out on CD, they split it into four parts, and you're like, "What are you thinking?" No, it's one song. Yeah. You know? Right. Yeah. Anyway. Right. Hmm. Good times. What'd you say about the... Rain? That was a show oh, on Netflix. Netflix. See, it's a show
0: on Netflix. Mm-hmm. I think I've talked about it before, but it's essentially. I, I think rain, it so made it into the show notes. It's Danish. And that's why I like it because an American producer would destroy the show mm. uh, within the first couple of episodes. They turn it into some sort of like serialized show. But no, it's just about what would happen if the rain killed you and kind of zombified you, like made you super almost uh, like twenty eight days later. Like, oh, right, sure. It makes you super aggressive, and then you die.
2: Mm.
0: <laughs> and so you don't become a zombie, but you come like become like super aggressive, and then you die. And it's just about these two kids who are stuck in this like bunker by their dad and basically they survive and then they have to figure out how they're going to live and because their kids when they get put in there they're like 12 yeah. and 7 and then time passes like seven eight nine years passes between the first episode and then the end of the first episode and then it's like okay we got to go find dad right and is dad alive and are there other bunkers and all these other questions that come up are there other people is it like radioactive
1: rain or something
0: um, no, it's just it's got a toxin in it, and okay. that's kind of that kind of again the the beauty of like it, Danish it, Scandinavian TV is they they build a world very slowly and methodically, mm. and so they don't tell you everything at once. They don't just like info dump you, yeah. And then that's well, frankly so, you don't you don't need to know.
1: And actually, leaving those things kind of hanging just right, keeps your what curiosity the tension. Peak. exactly.
0: Yeah, versus this kind of expository dump that American shows and movies engage in so often. What's well, ultimately
1: like what ruined, um, say the show Lost, right? Yeah, is when you know when you explain the mythology or that's the prequels Star Wars yeah. as well. It's like yeah, oh exactly. yeah, the Force is really just midi These right, little,
0: it's like what that. Right, you're not yeah. making this better. Again, we were talking <laughs> about during the podcast. like we were talking about. The more you talk, the more I get the sense you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, like you're just trying to find the point. Yeah, why don't you just let it be what it is? But and then actually jumps on to the second uh, show that I think it just came out today that I'm super excited about. It's called Cargo, set in Australia. Martin mm. Freeman's in it. Oh, really? And it's Martin Freeman carrying a baby around during a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> And and he's he's a I, solid actor. I mean, he he's soft, been doing all soft. these little bit parts, but yeah, but you can tell he's he's got uh, he's got some chops. He does. I just don't think he, he gets a lot of enough opportunity to, to just flex. Well, and he gets typecast. Yeah, it. yeah, he does for sure. Yeah, really carry that. And um, same thing though is that I, I'm fascinated by this generation's obsession with zombies and the end of the world hmm. because if you if you look at sci-fi historically speaking, especially in the 20th century. You can see in sci-fi, obviously, the fear of the nuclear holocaust. Oh, sure. And how that influenced science fiction. And now we're post-nuclear holocaust genocide to chemical holocaust and genocide, Mm -hmm. that a contagion is going to break loose and it's going to infect the population and that's going to breed zombies or it's going to make people super aggressive or whatever it might be. Yeah, that really took off with HIV, I think. For sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. This idea that it's what you can't see that's going to kill you. Yeah, you think about like all of the alien
1: invasion movies were right. like, during the, the Cold War, go figure. Right. right, exactly. Or before the Cold War even.
0: But yeah, these uh, foreigners are going to come and invade us. Right, well, you, and to your point then, you look at Fritz Lang's movies in the 20s into the 30s, and, and then American movies in the 30s and the 40s, their sci-fi is about fascism. Mm-hmm. Right and and the fear of totalitarian governments taking over, and so although the the world of the future was fascistic and totalitarian, mm-hmm. then it became, like you said, this invade this invading force that wants to assimilate us, communism, mm-hmm. right and make us all one, like the Borg in Star Trek mm-hmm. And now it's this invisible contagion that's going to kill us all. Mm. And, and, it's, it's, I, and it's almost always a mistake. That leads always. To it. Exactly. Yeah. It's always our search for a better world, yeah. a utopia. We're going to create a utopia, and then it goes horribly wrong.
1: Yeah, that hubris, as the, the, the ancient Right. It's,
0: it's always the attempt to overcome chaos, and then the chaos overcoming us. Or to and, live forever, if you're uh, yeah, if right. you've been watching uh, season two of Westworld. Yeah, absolutely. And mm-hmm. I think that's the thing that I find fascinating about science fiction, is it's always a parable, it's always a commentary on our deep-seated fears and anxieties in mm-hmm. the present tense. And told in such a way that we don't really have to look hard at ourselves and be afraid to look at it, but to couch it in fantastical imagery. Yeah. I started reading Doc Savage novels again this past week. Hmm. And because I love the old Tarzan Conan, you know, art, uh, books. And I love the Solomon Kane books by Howard, Robert E. Howard. Um, when I was in high school and college, I really enjoyed uh, Lovecraft's Cthulhu stuff. Sure. And now I'm kind of going back and getting into the pulp fiction of the Doc Savage novels, and it's the same thing in those novels. Is it's Robert E. Howard or, or Lovecraft or um, or <laughs> who wrote Doc Savage? Dang it, I just completely blanked on Doc Savage. Actually, it was more than one author, but um, mm-hmm. originally, who wrote Doc Savage? By Henry Ralston, that's what it was. Yeah, okay. Henry Ralston. Yeah. And again, it's the same thing. It's like it's it's creating these fantastical heroes, putting them against the chaos of the day. And then again for Doc Savage, lots of Nazis, lots of people from China, mm-hmm. <laughs> mystical stuff. And uh, again, you look at um, Tarzan or, or um, Solomon Cain going to Africa or the jungles of South America. It's always this battle against... The chaos. Yeah, the unknown too, right? uh, Battling the unknown and and these heroic figures then being thrown into these conflicts and how they're rescuing people from chaos and from being taken over by fascism or communism or the invisible enemy, whatever that might be.
2: Hmm.
0: And really, it's an examination of the human condition in the present tense. And so, again, I don't really dismiss those outright as just... Oh it's just a it's just a show about zombies or it's just a show you know like there's a parable there. Hmm. There's an allegory being drawn out and if you just pay attention there's a confession there. And even if the writers of the show the producers aren't aware that they're making a a social commentary a confession they are 100%. Yeah. And for me as a pastor then or just as a as a person who's curious about human motives and intent I just love standing back and playing the anthropologist or the sociologist mm, with that stuff. Yeah, story. right. And saying like, where where do we stand? You know, where where do the Danes think we stand, or where do the Australians think we stand, or where do the the Japanese think we stand right now? Hmm. You know, and, yeah, and you can and, and you learn. can get that from their art, right? Like, exactly, literature, exactly. film, music. Yeah, absolutely, et because it's an expression of stuff that you're. Like I said, you're either not comfortable, kind of just putting it out there, or you just you, you're trying to communicate stuff that makes you anxious or afraid, but you just don't know how to express it, and so that that's the vehicle for that. I think
1: there's a reason why um, there are 643 metal bands in Sweden, something like no, that. That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> They're like, the most death metal bands in the world. Per capita, and yeah. not only just per capita, but like in the world.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> what is it about living there? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> that, that you have to go out into the forest and turn on the, uh, the X-Pro2 filter in your photos.
0: <laughs> well, as my professor said at seminary, Sweden and Norway were never actually completely Christianized. Mm. And for me, that's what this is because these same bands Devil Horns Well, they also burn down churches. Ah. It's a part of a broader movement that's been going on the past two decades or so I where didn't they know burn that. down these historic churches. Oh yeah, for sure. There's documentaries made about it mm. where they interview people from these bands who are in jail, for example, um, for murdering other bandmates or <laughs> burning down churches or where it may be. And they're pagans, straight up. They worship Odin. They worship Thor. Straight up, they—they're not. It's not a joke. It's not like some teen rebellion. They literally believe that Odin and Thor are real, and that Christianity came in and essentially tried to get rid of their gods. Yeah, this is not and, like listening to Slayer. <laughs> no, absolutely not. And in kind of the similar way where Naaman wanted to take dirt back with him, mm. because he because again you have to remember that your your gods are all um, parochial. They're all local,
2: mm, and sure. so
0: if I want to go somewhere with my God, I've got to take a piece of where I come from with me so that my God can go with me. And so for the Norse people, like the ground you're standing on, that's the ground of Odin, not the God of Jesus. He's some Middle Eastern dude. We don't care about Jesus. Hmm. And so for them, Christianity just kind of basically said, we're going to take away your gods from you, which is the same as saying we're taking away your land from you, your identity. And so a way to get back our identity is to go back into paganism. Right. And so you see metal being one vehicle for going back and being a pagan. Hmm. Yeah, right. Bang the drum. There you go. So yeah, that's where I'm at. Church of the Cosmic Skull. Rain Cargo. Yeah, I'm about.
1: Uh, I'm getting close to the end of season one of uh, Justified. Good. I think we talked you about enjoying that last it or no? Month. I am. I you know it was a little. Um, I didn't get it, it at first. Some, yeah. Yep. Because well, it was development. You know, and Mm -hmm. it's not—it's not a real rapid development at the beginning. Exactly. Uh, There's a lot of backstory, and it's episodic, uh, and the
0: arc. But the arc was being developed. Yes, and now now I can see it starting to play out. Right, world building, the characters, Mm -hmm. and it's really important in the first season that they did that because as you get deeper into the series, especially seasons three, four, and five, all the front world building pays off because they actually do have character arcs in the show. Like they actually changes people yeah. during the show, yeah. which is what I like the, the shows that I appreciate most are the shows that actually take the time to say, well, we're going to lose a lot of people who want flashbang action all the time, but the people that stay and then through like Peaky Blinders is the same way. Yeah. Right. Like there's, there's plenty of action in Peaky Blinders to keep you invest in the show, but all of the characters in the show change personality wise throughout the arc of the show.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah, to some degree, anyway. To some degree. Again, Irish people are Irish people. You can't get the pagan <laughs> out of us completely, but like, yeah. like, it's it's genetic, my friend. Let me just tell you from experience.
1: Uh, let's see, and I've also been reading a new Lawhead series. I think we talked about Lawhead before I was doing mm-hmm. uh, King Arthur stuff. This is a, it's a Celtic, the Celtic folk doing, going on crusades, yeah. which is really interesting because we were mentioning um, uh, Christendom model earlier yeah. in the show, and... Uh, the interaction between the the Western and Eastern Church in relation to the Crusades, yeah. and and these foreigners just coming in and you know expecting this or that <laughs> out of right. out of Constantinople, you're like, mm, they're they're you know we don't you have to bow to us, and that it was mm-hmm. all the you know how obvious it doesn't seem obvious to us, but how much political mach- machinations there are even within the Church. Well, right? Of course, especially. Yeah. yeah, especially within the church. I mean, maybe if you're in church leadership, you already know this, but, right. um, you know, it's uh, and it's always been that way, especially when it got mm-hmm. big, right? Right, right. You know, everybody had their little fiefdoms or their territories. And,
0: well, and this is an important point, too, because we enjoy the privilege in this country of not having been colonized. <laughs> not yet, and, anyway. Well, we colonized everybody else, <laughs> but yeah. um, is that imagine you have your belief system, you have your worship, you have your culture, you have your history, everything that goes along with it. And then someone comes in and says, everything that you say, your language is evil. Your gods aren't real. They're evil. They're Satan. They're evil gods. Um, the way you worship, you can't do that anymore. Um, you have to change the way you dress. You have to change the way you talk. You have to change what you eat, why you eat, where you live, how you live. Everything has to be now this way. Right. And how are you going to react to someone coming in and saying all those things to you? Hmm. Not Probably not positively. Yeah, And therefore, you're not really going to church, again, out of a desire to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, necessarily. You're going to church because you have to. Yeah, and your head's on the line. <laughs> and you're Exactly, your head's on the line. It's legislated that you go to church under the threat of force. Mm-hmm. Because again, in Christendom, you're a state church model. It's, it's the state and the church are hand in glove. And I, I think, again, to step back and simply sympathize with others who have that that grudge and to say well my people 100 years ago 200 years ago 10 years ago whatever it might be this happened this is now a part of my history again yeah. it's like when you bring slaves over from africa or you just crush the cherokee for example mm-hmm. and say hey you're all christians now what about our gods yeah those are satanic those are demons those aren't real gods um you're again you're not just changing people's religion you're changing everything that gives that person meaning and identity right right yeah. at the tip of a spear or whatever it may be. And I've never had that happen to me. I've never had that, that mm. been confronted with that before. Mm. And so again, I sympathize with it in a post Christendom world that we now live in. People are dredging that stuff up and saying, okay, we couldn't talk about this before, but we're definitely going to talk about this now. Yeah, And so we can't use the same approach to the conversation that our forefathers used.
1: Yeah. You can't just uh, shove stuff under the, under the rug. And right. act as if it's not there. Right, exactly. Uh, eventually, it's, eventually, yeah, it starts rotting and it smells.
0: And, right, exactly. Uh, <laughs> and you have to deal right. with it. Right. And again, selfless love, my friends. Selfless love. Yeah. Be humble enough to say, what I think right now isn't as important as what you think right now and me hearing you out. Yeah. And, so you and meet
1: like godly clerics and you meet ungodly clerics. I mean, right. so... Uh, which is the same as we experience today, and we have to be willing to admit that, that there are right there are just as many heathens and pagans in the church,
0: right? Um, but under the guise of, of faithfulness. Right, know? and it hurts. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt, and I'm not saying it's not jarring existentially or socially to mm. to put this stuff out there, especially as your pastor, when you know it could cost you your salary, or it could cost you the parsonage, or it could cost you good standing in your district or synod. It could mean that you get put on CRM and you don't have a call. Like, mm-hmm. there's lots of things that can happen if you stand up and say, hey, <laughs> let's we're stop not, doing... We're not going to do that again. Yeah. Right. Let's not do that anymore. Let's let's take a different path. Let's not keep spouting the same political screeds or religious screeds and, you know, choose us, again, those lines that aren't real. Right. And I'm going to stand on this side of the line, and you're on that side of the line, and if you want to talk to me, you've got to get on this side of the line. Yeah. Well, if you, if you, have, the, have, if the, if you have the audacity to... Um, put your faith in, in Christ alone, <laughs> right, <laughs> and you get run right. out for
1: that. Right. Um, there's actually, That's something
0: to be proud of. Actually, yeah, well, it is.
1: And there, but you know, but it hurts. So of there's good resource right. for that. That's uh, what Rod Rosenblatt's gospel for those broken yeah, by, broken the church. by the church. Exactly. Yeah, so go check that out
0: too. Yeah, but it's it's just to have the conversation, and to recognize that we all have prejudices, we all skew certain ways, and that. There should be, there's no shame in admitting that because mm-hmm. in fact admitting it might actually open the conversation up <laughs> for all those who also are afraid or intrepid about admitting I got questions or I'm not really comfortable with this or yeah I'm kind of ashamed of X yeah. Y and Z you know rationalize the crusades for me I'd be like mm, sorry <laughs> right exactly no I'll pass on that one uh, yeah um,
1: I'm not going to rationalize build you know opening an embassy
0: and enjoy right. Right, exactly. But as baptized children of God, what we are now free to do for our neighbors to love them selflessly, to to put their needs in front of our own needs, to recognize their need for the gospel and the gifts. Hmm. And ultimately then, as we were discussing before the podcast, if we establish that love is universal, it's written into all our hearts by way of the law, law is love, love is law, the purpose of the law is to love our neighbors as ourselves, love God with our whole heart, spirit, and mind. Mm-hmm. Love is now the vehicle for us to point to faith in Jesus. That it's something that we all share in common that even like I, we were saying, Epicureans now are recognizing that love and kindness is the purpose of life yeah. and that putting other people's needs before your own needs is the purpose of life. And so if the pagans are pointing us to the truth of the law, hmm. maybe this is our time to listen to them and say, hey, Could you talk more about that? Because I've been over here for the past couple of centuries talking about obedience and being completely loveless and self-centered and self-focused versus, hey, where'd you come to this conclusion about selfless love from? Oh, the Buddhist? Oh, the Stoics? Oh, from your own experiences? How'd you get that from, from those people? I've never read that before. I've never studied Buddhism. I've never thought about it from that perspective before. Like, how did you get to this? Like, how'd you get to this point? Tell me.
1: Yeah, it, and it and, shouldn't surprise us that the the noble true noble virtues of what goodness, yeah. truth, and beauty yeah. uh, that that others would pursue these things. Right. I mean, maybe we're surprised because we had that period of time in human history called the 20th century, um, right. which really went down a pretty um, pretty dark path for a while. Right, but uh, we've come out on the other side. I think you know, mm-hmm. even the pagans are looking for uh, for hope. In a hopeless way. Right.
0: And as the song goes. We, again, the church can be the place where that conversation happens because it used to. Mm, the church yeah. used to be the. Who was it who supported the arts and the sciences? Right, exactly. Who, and music and uh, curiosity and, and going off in different directions. Yeah, let's go look at Mars. I'd, I'd love to explore there. Right, exactly. <laughs> and what being a baptized child of God does is it opens up us to the freedom. That exists outside of these imaginary lines that we draw for each other, and it also opens us up to to recognize that the old Adam is a liar and a lie yeah. <laughs> that you're, we're a baptized child of God, and we cling to a lie as if it 's the be all end of our, all of our life, and it will kill us in the end, yeah you can be like God right, and so the old Adam lies to us constantly and pr- we project our fears and insecurities onto other people. And then draw a box around ourselves and say, hey, you you just—you stay over there with that. Not recognizing that we don't treat people as people, but rather we treat people as an extension of ourself.
2: Hmm.
0: And that and then we somehow go around thinking, oh, well, I can own you or possess you. Yeah. And you see this, you know, and then we frown upon it in something like Islam. Where we're like, oh, Sharia law. And, you know, they treat their women this way. Well don't we treat our women like property to a certain extent and as men and don't we act like we own them sometimes Mm. even the language of giving the bride away and, and the way in which we interpret natural law, for example, and that men are somehow superior to women or above women. And therefore women have to um, serve men and not recognizing that the, that Genesis three is a curse, not a moral imperative. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Well, and
1: as we, as, as the show, the content of the show is about, I mean, our identity as baptized children of
0: God—that's—that's uh, that's actually gives us great equity, <laughs> and the fact that uh, Paul points out that the relation of man and woman, husband and wife, is mm. the relation of Jesus to His church. Right. And again, it's not in the way of moral imperative; it's in the way of self-sacrificing love. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, that's—it's been a big conversation for me. That's why I bring it up, and especially mm-hmm. in relation to baptism. I have these conversations with non-Christians all the time about the nature of what's the purpose of life. And we hit on this. And all of a sudden, me being the dummy I am, realized, oh, I've been coming at this the wrong way the whole time. I want to talk to them about faith in Jesus. They want to talk about love, which is the fruit of faith for us. Mm-hmm. Right. So why don't I just start at the end of the conversation and then work backwards? Yeah, that's called, uh, what do you call that? Uh, compositionally.
1: That's uh, inverted? No, not inverted. What do you want to say?
0: Oh, I lost the word. Doesn't matter. I don't know. I oh, can. I'm, know. I'm a random abstract. I can start anywhere, and it's the beginning. So and the end, middle and the end. It's it's yeah, exactly. It's it's the whole thing in a nutshell. In the beginning. Okay. Yeah, so uh, enjoy the recommendations if that is uh, what you're into. Uh, hope you enjoyed the podcast. Uh, go out and buy Peter's book if you don't have it already. It's wonderful. Link in Especially, the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that's all I got. Otherwise, go check out the other podcasts. Uh, go check out the devotions on Facebook uh-huh. by our good friends, Pastor Goodman, Earhart, and Vandercook. Yep. Good like stuff. On Like and review
1: on iTunes That's or right. Apple Music, as they call it now, or Apple yeah. Podcasts, actually.
0: Is that what they call it now?
1: Yeah, it's Apple Podcasts. not oh called iTunes goodness. anymore. Yeah. and uh, But it, that helps. And uh, also, go to the support page on HigherThings, higherthings.org. And be on the lookout for the Heidelberg Disputation. Uh, it's up. Good. Yep. Uh, Go to Amazon and order it. was like it. a bestseller for one day under, like, Lutheranism.
0: Oh, cool. Yeah. For one day. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> Go back and buy more.
1: It's available as as a Kindle book or yep. as a print copy as well. Yeah.
0: We're trying to do that. We're crazy that way. Going to build a
1: library trying of to resources. Build a library
0: and uh, what will be coming out, hopefully annually now, uh, we're, we're almost there, is we're going to start publishing Lutheran catechisms mm-hmm. Yeah. to, Fun again, project. to make available to the Lutheran church various catechisms from out the history of Lutheranism so that you can actually examine not only how Luther's catechism was translated by other Lutherans, but just to see the history of catechization in the Lutheran church. Mm -hmm. And since Higher Things is all about putting those resources in the hands of pastors, parents, and the youth, we thought, what better way to do that than to make available a lot of stuff that's still in German, Mm. or latin that you might not have access to we'll translate them for you we'll publish them on kindle and in hard copy and then year to year i think next year we're gonna put out leah's catechism because i already did the translation of that one
1: yeah that one's done
0: (laughs) and we're gonna do um lengthens Mm -hmm. um and we're just yeah we're just gonna work through them and uh, hopefully that benefits you yeah so yeah we got good stuff coming we got good stuff coming other cds coming
1: yeah that's right uh uh, glory be to jesus yeah hymns hymns from the church year. uh these are hymns specifically no it's not church here hmm. Well, it's part of the church year. we're I working want to say, up to that one say it at lent and easter i think
0: that's it yeah yeah yeah
1: because mm-hmm. we did advent right yeah we did advent christmas yep. before yeah
0: this is lent easter and then we're going to work on one for the whole church year
1: we got that we're also going to try to do all of the conference hymns yes um, to yeah. remember the 20th anniversary we got an evening and morning we got a couple projects in the works there. yeah so. we got a lot of stuff
0: going on in media we're doing stuff people Cranking it. We're doing it it. for you We're doing it for you, so help support us Go to Higher Things and support us, as Pastor Gillespie said Mm -hmm. Go uh, rate us and give us shining reviews so we can get bumped up, 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 up and uh, more people uh, have this podcast available to them, recommended to them Mm -hmm. and as always, uh, really really appreciate all the support and uh, feedback that we get, and uh, we really appreciate you, so I hope we pass the audition. See ya!
3: like what you're listening to higher things podcasts are free for you but they aren't free to produce please consider supporting the higher things podcasts as lutheran as it gets gospeled boldly and the black cloister check out www.higherthings.org support for more information thank you for listening and thank you for your support You summoned me, Dr. Frankenstein? Indeed I did, Igor. I wanted to tell you that I'm retiring from the business of monster creation to do something that requires even more genius. What's that, Doctor? Coffee roasting, Igor. There are so many wonderfully complex variables to busy my intellect with. Try the end product, Igor. It's brilliant. And delicious. Not bad, Doctor. But have you considered just ordering your coffee pre-roasted? Preposterous, Igor! No one else has the scientific attention to detail that this enterprise requires. What about coffee by Gillespie? Coffee by Gillespie? Christopher Gillespie is a master at selecting high-quality, specialty coffee beans that are as sustainable as they are tasty. And to roast them to their finest, he uses traditional techniques combined with the latest technology. Something a scientist like you should appreciate, Doctor. Indeed, indeed. But the coffee, Igor, is it any good? Everything about Coffee by Gillespie is done with taste in mind. Gillespie even ships your coffee directly to your address so it doesn't lose its delectable flavor sitting on the store shelf. You've convinced me, Igor. Coffee by Gillespie clearly has me beat for coffee new-how. Where may I get some? Just go online to gillespie.coffee and order any time. Let it be done, Igor. But opt for the decaf. Frankie can be a handful when he's had too much caffeine. (laughs) Coffee by Gillespie. It's brilliant and it's delicious.